Nystrom. Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Hartner goes right to King Flatsenburg. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is episode 49, actual episode 66. I've already discussed the uh, discrepancies in the numbers, um, and this is a perfect example. Last episode was Drew Fada Part 1, actual episode 65. So episode 49, maybe this should be episode 50, but, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the continuation of episode 49, an actual episode 66. First of all, I'm going to apologize right off the bat. I don't know if uh, any of you listeners, any of you people also are Long Island residents and have allergies, but these last four days have been absolute torture allergy-wise here in Nassau County for me. Uh, <clears throat> it's just been a nightmare, and I take... Um, I take over the counter allergy medicine and um, the one that we bought the other day just doesn't seem to be uh, doing the trick. So uh, went on a little bit of a sneezing rampage here before I uh, hit record. So hopefully we're good. But if I sound kind of chunky here, not body wise, I'm always going to sound that way, but like chunky, like uh, phlegmy, whatever it is, however you want to describe it. That is due to uh, my seasonal allergies, so uh, I do apologize in advance for that. So, like I said, Drew Fatta Part 2, and um, I just wanted to continue with the Happy Gilmore theme. I figure when uh, when Drew hits play on this, I'm sure he'll laugh, because I'm going to guess at one point or another, I know how much he likes the movie, that he has said that line about the goal being regulation size. So I'm taking a chance. I'm rolling the dice, figuring that Drew has said that line on one on more than one occasion. Easy for me to say. Okay. If this is your first time listening, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, have a seat. Kick off your shoes. Crack open a beer, coffee, soda, milk, whatever it is that you like. Uh, I appreciate you, uh, you checking in. This is Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. Stay a while. And if you're a returning listener... Thank you for coming back. I must be doing something right. Or you like Drew Fatta. So either way, you're here. I'm glad you're here. Thank you very much. While you're here, if you wouldn't mind, could you please subscribe to the show? Hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you are listening to. And uh, if you also have a second, could you like, rate, and or review the show? just brings the show uh, into a higher profile. It'll show up in more searches for hockey, hockey fights, Islanders, things like that. Every little bit helps. If you have a few seconds, I'd really appreciate that. Social media, two social media accounts, 
personal Twitter account at Joe underscore Lozito. And the show account is at Kali Sinbin Pod. Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles Podcast. And on Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore Podcast. Really quick, the show accounts are basically Islander Enforcer related content. Um, you'll see Islander stuff on there, Bridgeport, old Springfield stuff, anything having to do with any of the guests or any penalty minute numbers, fighting major numbers. Basically, if you're listening to the show right now, you probably would be interested in the social media pages. So, uh, follow me, give it a like, whatever it is on whatever platform, I will return the favor in kind. Um, there's enough out there for us to build up each other's content. So if you have something that uh, by me liking it or me following you is going to help build up your content, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, And uh, I'd appreciate it uh, if you do the same for me. So let's help each other out, okay? Uh, Merchandise. If you're interested in Coliseum Chronicles merchandise, please scroll a little bit and you'll see two links on the episode in the episode description. One is for the original merchandise, and one is for the alternate logo merchandise. Click on either one of those or both. Get your Coliseum Chronicles merchandise. Starting to get warm here. We're in the middle of spring. Baseball's going on, and the hockey playoffs are going to start. Definitely, maybe now's the time to get some T-shirts, get some tank tops. Um, Get your baby a onesie so you can run around the yard in just a onesie. Uh, All of that stuff is available uh, in the Coliseum Chronicles, the Penalty Box merchandise store. And as always, I have a listener-exclusive discount based on the events that transpired last night where the Islanders clinched a playoff berth. The code for the next seven days is PLAYOFFS20, P-L-A-O-F-F-S-2-0, PLAYOFFS20, for 20% off any item or items in the Coliseum Chronicles, the Penalty Box merchandise store. That code is good through May 10th of 2021. And when you go to the store and you see the logo, that logo is done by local Long Island artist Joe Marisich. Joe is available for hire. He's a very busy guy because he's so goddamn talented. But definitely reach out to him if you have any art projects. Graduations are coming up. There's always birthdays and religious holidays and all that other stuff. You want him to draw you up some stuff, he's your guy. You can get him on Twitter at GraphicsJoker or at LoudEgg.com. Joe is a very, very cool dude. Very, very talented. Hit him up for all your art needs. As I said last episode, my man Darren, Fourth Line Voice, celebrated his 100th episode, which in the podcast world is a pretty big deal. Uh, I think uh, he said he was told the average podcast lasts about seven episodes. So 100 is a pretty big deal. So again, Darren, congratulations. Uh, He's now up to 102 episodes. And depending on when you're listening to this, it might be 103, as I am expecting a uh, shit show Sunday episode shortly at 1.15 this afternoon. It is not available as of now, but I'm sure at some point during the day it will be. Uh, Darren's latest interview episode was a good one. It was with uh, Jesse Rosanzoff. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Jesse once. I, uh, he was in East Coast League. I believe he was with Peoria. Uh, Smurf Christie had uh, a pretty tough team and I uh, went to a game in Trenton. I met Jesse. I had remembered him from uh, his days in Fredericton. Really, really nice guy. Uh, and the interview was great. So uh, one of the reasons why I uh, I well, I congratulated Darren for doing 100 episodes, but one of the reasons why I really respect Darren and I love his show is because 
I don't know how many appearances Jesse has done on other shows. And Darren is the kind of guy where even if a guy's highest level was junior B or major junior, whatever, as long as he played the role, um, he gets these guys on a show and it's, it's even whether a guy's played in the NHL or the highest level is junior B, you're going to get at least two hours of content. And, uh, you know, like Jesse's played in many levels of pro hockey, uh, played in the infamous Quebec league. So, um, the, the episode is great. So just definitely go to fourth line voice, subscribe to his podcast. Great stuff. 103 episodes. There's a ton of shit in the back catalog that you may not have heard yet. Just keep scrolling and just find one you like. Just hit it, subscribe, catch up, do whatever you have to do. But I promise you, if you enjoy my show, you're definitely going to enjoy Darren's show. Uh, he's the OG in this genre. And definitely check out the Jesse Rosanzoff episode. And if you're on YouTube, which we all are at some point during the day, aren't we? Fourth Line Voice. YouTube channel. I believe he's up to over 2,500 hockey fights on there. And if you've ever watched the hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it was on the fourth line voice YouTube channel. But in case you haven't definitely check that out too. Another show I'd like you to check out the bucket drop podcast with my buddy, uh, Bobby Longgrass. He, uh, he does these quick hit episodes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Uh, he puts them out on, he puts them out every Monday, I believe. Sometimes he does two a week. I think he just records while he's driving. And um, <clears throat> these really quick episodes, kind of uh, what's been going on in hockey, or uh, he does MMA stuff, boxing, uh, gambling. So he does a little bit of everything, but you don't need to devote a lot of time to listen to his show. So definitely check out the Bucket Drop podcast. And uh, you won't be disappointed. So, again, if you have a lot of time, like you need to listen to my show, Fourth Line Voice, that's your show. If you have a little bit of time, you're running to get coffee, you're running to get a bagel, you're running to get breakfast, lunch, check out Bucket Drop Podcast. There's a show for everybody, the ones I'm recommending. I'd also like to direct you to my social media accounts, specifically Twitter. I've been tweeting every day about this GoFundMe that my friend Steve is doing. Now, if you're a hockey fight fan, chances are you've you in the past visited the site Drop Your Gloves, and it was the fight card database for anyone who's ever dropped the gloves. It's the the site was just insanity. You can just search a guy's name and the fight card comes up. It was beautiful. Um I don't necessarily agree with a lot of their um comments about as far as who won or who lost you know every you always get that homer aspect but for the most part the the fight cards are pretty accurate and it was something and i know a lot of the players used it because you could click on a guy's fight card you can watch the video it was a really one-stop shopping for hockey fight fans and for enforcers alike because like i said i know a lot of players used it well for whatever reason the guy who ran that site decided one day to shut it down and that sucks I know myself, I utilize that site a lot. Uh, I didn't really, I think he shut it down before I started the show. And I'm fortunate that a lot of the fight cards are available on the Wayback Machine. But for example, I have an interview coming up hopefully this week and the guy's fight card is not there. So I make do with what information I could find, but it would definitely help if I could see everything that's on there. But um, even the stuff on the Wayback Machine, you can't access the videos or anything like that anymore. So uh, Steve wants to build a bigger, better, better drop your gloves website. And 
If you're not familiar with Steve, his Twitter account is when Probert was king. Uh, Steve has these does these long form projects where they're just so detailed his writing. He's basically the hockey fight rain man, and um, he's very passionate about this. And to build a proper site, I mean, a, a real an amazing database. It's going to run about ten grand, and I think as, as of today, we're almost halfway there. So. Um, listen, I can relate. I have not worked since last May and, you know, we're coming up in about two weeks. I will, I will be out of work officially one year. So if, uh, if times are tough for you, I can definitely relate, but if you have an extra dollar, extra $5, extra $10, and you could donate, please go to my Twitter and, um, you'll see the link on there. Uh, every little bit helps. So if you're able to do so, please do. If you're not, if you could share the link, that helps too, because you never know. Everybody has different followers. Uh, maybe, uh, if you share the link, it's going to, uh, be presented to someone who doesn't follow me. So if you can donate, please do. If you can't donate, please share the link. Every little bit helps. Thank you in advance. Now, the 2021 Islanders slash Bridgeport Sound Tigers fight report. Uh, no new additions this week for the Sound Tigers, but I do have one addition for the Islanders. And on April 27th, Matt Martin and Zidane Chara had the rematch. Um, fight wasn't much, but, uh, you know, if you if you looked at the memes that were all over social media, you would have thought that Zidane Chara murdered Matt Martin. Um, I don't know. I guess the Chara stuff. People are just so enamored with his size, and the dude is super tough. I mean, let's let's be honest. He's a very very tough guy. But um, uh, Martin hung in there. He did what he had to do. Um, and what Martin did was he hit a, a clean hit. I know if you um, if you look at some of the Twitter uh, the tweets from people that live in the Washington DC area, they were whining about it being a dirty hit, which is funny because of one of the players on their team, but um, they were crying about it. And Chara came in and challenged Martin and Martin dropped the gloves and fought him. And it's very simple. It's, it's really easy when you break it down um, the physical aspect of the game. Sometimes, you know, hits happen or whatever. And uh, a player feels like they have to come in and get retribution. And Martin dropped the gloves. They had a fight and that was it. So, uh, so that was the latest fight. That is the fifth fighting major this year for the Islanders. I think they have five games left. So, um, who knows if they're going to add to that, that may be the fifth and final fight this year. Who knows? But, uh, that now that was Matt Martin's second fight of the season, second fight against the Dano Chara. So he is officially the fighting major leader for the team this year. So that's the only, uh, new addition to the fight report that I have for you this week. Uh, a few other things. I would love to wish my wife, Andrea, my bride, a very happy birthday. Her birthday was yesterday, Saturday. Um, you know, we've been together <laughs> since 1992. So uh, some of you may not even have been born by then. But uh, she celebrated a birthday yesterday. And uh, I think she had a great birthday. And, you know, listen. She's the love of my life. I love her. And, uh, you know, I know I look the part of uh, barbarian, but uh, I actually do have a sensitive side. And uh, my family means everything to me. And my wife had a birthday. And it's funny because I'm wishing her a happy birthday. She doesn't even listen to the show. So, uh, but just in case she decides to peek in, Andrea, happy birthday. I love you. And here's to many more. Uh, I'd also like to thank uh, Kevin. 
my wife and I recently paid a visit to Ashley Furniture uh, on Route 110. I believe it's in Farmingdale. I guess I guess it's Farmingdale. If you're on Long Island, you'll know exactly where I'm talking about uh, because it's near um, Adventureland. And um, we had ordered a piece of furniture. And uh, earlier this week, there seemed to be a little confusion about delivery. And um, I reached out to Kevin, who was our salesperson. And uh, even though it was his day off, uh, he went the extra mile. He reached out to uh, some of his colleagues and they handled it and handled it like professionals. And our furniture arrived and it was fantastic. And uh, so I would recommend if you're in the market to get some new furniture and no, they're not a sponsor, but I like to acknowledge people that, that uh, do a good job. And uh, if you're on Long Island and you need some furniture, you're in the, uh, you're in the area near, although I guess they deliver wherever I have no idea, but uh, it's Ashley furniture uh, near Adventureland on route 110. And as for Kevin, he's a good dude. He's an Islanders fan. And I think he works with a bunch of Rangers fans. So uh, definitely, if you go in there, make sure you ask for Kevin. Let's get him that commission. Don't don't let any of the money go to any Rangers fans. So Kevin, Ashley Furniture, Route 110, Farmingdale. Thank you very much, buddy. I appreciate your effort. As I alluded to earlier, congratulations to the New York Islanders earning a playoff berth with a win last night over the New York Rangers. So listen, you know that uh, you know how I feel about hockey nowadays. And uh, the kinder, gentler version of hockey nowadays. It's still nice to beat the Rangers. And uh, I think Varlamov has shut them out four times this year. And uh, it's funny because I don't I don't even think, I don't even have any animosity towards the team. It's their fans. And it's not all their fans. It's just the, uh, as Darren is fond of saying, the vocal minority on social media. Um, I know some really cool Rangers fans. Uh, but they don't chirp. You know, and uh, there's just a lot of go- and then, listen, and it's not just Rangers fans. Uh, I see Islanders Twitter. There are a lot of goofballs on there too. Uh, Toronto may have more than anybody, but um, it's those goofy Ranger fans that um, I'm very happy that the Islanders clinched against the Rangers. I mean, there's this there's this movement this year where Ranger fans are talking about Ryan Strom being better than uh, Matthew Barzell because he has more points. Now, I like. Ryan Strom a lot. I wish him nothing but success, and I think he's a good kid and everything. I like his style, but I, I think even Ryan Strom would tell you he's not as good as Matt Barzell. But this is kind of a peek into the Ranger fan mentality. So if you're not from the area and you don't know it, it this is I'm taking you behind the curtain of a Ranger fan's brain. So this is what I'm dealing with. But um, God, you know what? I mean, this would be. I wonder, it would really, I'd really have to go look. But last night was the last game that they're going to play the Rangers this season. And I, and they did not record a fight against the Rangers this year in seven games. So I, I said something last week about how I thought the fighting majors would go up a little bit this year, playing your division rivals seven times. Uh, Islanders played the Rangers seven times this year, not one single fight. So, you know, whatever. Uh, you've heard me talk about this already. It's disappointing. I never thought I'd see the day, but um, that's it. Now they still have a chance to hit first place. I really think first place is important uh, because if you finish anywhere from second, third, or fourth, there's a very good chance you're going to have to see a, my voice cracked. I'm so emotional about this. <clears throat> there's a very good chance you're going to have to beat Washington and Pittsburgh to get into the playoffs. And 
if you finish in first, you probably play Boston. Washington, Pittsburgh play each other first round. One of them will eliminate the other. Now, I I am a firm believer in you never wish for a particular opponent because that always comes back to bite you in the ass. But if we're being honest, the Islanders, even though the last few games they didn't, the Islanders have had way more success against the Bruins this year than they have against Washington or Pittsburgh, I think. I, d- I just think to beat Washington and Pittsburgh, it'll be a much tougher road than to beat Boston and one of those teams. Now, the way the Islanders are playing right now, they can beat anybody. So, And they got four technically easy games this week. Hopefully they win all four, make a run for first place. Also, first place you get home ice. So, And you go in hot. So let's just hope they keep this going. And uh, we'll see what happens. Now... Final thing I want to talk about this week before we get to Drew Fatta is there was an incident earlier this week where the Maple Leafs played Vancouver. And there is some history in this game because uh, I guess the game before, a player on Vancouver named Alexander Edler went knee on knee with Zach Hyman. And, uh, it was blatant. It was obvious. It was intentional. And I don't follow the Leafs at all. So I don't know if Hyman is out, missed some games, came right back. I have no idea. But to me, that doesn't matter. He went knee on knee with a guy. That is the kind of stuff that ends careers. That's some Ulf Samuelson type bullshit, if I may. Okay? So the the issue with that is the Maple Leafs, as much as I dislike them, and again, I don't even think it's the team. I think it's the fans. But as much as I dislike them, the Leafs have a few players that will handle the business for their team. And one of them is a guy who I am a monster fan of, and that's Wayne Simmons. And in this game that happened this week, I think it was less than a minute in, Wayne Simmons went in and dropped the gloves with Edler and handled his business. Edler dropped the glove. To his credit, Edler dropped the gloves with Simmons. I don't think he'd reach to throw a punch. And Simmons threw a lot of punches. I don't I don't think anything – well, I know nothing of significance landed. I don't even know if anything of insignificance landed, but I know there were a lot of punches landed to the helmet. Fight's over. They go to the box. So that is something that I speak very highly of. That is called frontier justice. That is Wayne Simmons – coming to the defense of his teammate, and now it's over. Well, not really. (laughs) No, because now what happens is now it's time for the reaction on social media. So it was fast and furious, like diarrhea after eating Mexican food. Can I say that? Did I just perpetrate a stereotype? Or, uh, oh, God, I don't know. Well, Mexican food sometimes doesn't agree with everybody, and it does lead to diarrhea. But I digress. But the reaction on Twitter was fast and furious. And the whining, oh, God, the whining that came out was unbelievable. And and to be fair, I posted about it myself, and I did say a lot of Canadian media the reality is it mostly was from the West. It was mostly Vancouver media, BC media, 
I'm sure the usual chuckleheads up in Toronto chimed in too. Um, and you know who gets me is fucking Darren Fourthline Voice. I avoid this shit. All right, I block all these numbskulls on Twitter. But what Darren does is he'll he I don't know if he searches this shit out or just appears on his timeline. He quote tweets these people, and then I see it. So then I can't avoid it. I have no self control. Now I have to go and watch it. So fucking Darren, god damn it, you suck me into this shit. So apparently, the kinder, gentler crowd was not happy with Wayne Simmons. Now, there was a personality, and I'm not saying names, not that I have this great reach here, but I'm not giving anyone any, anyone like this anyway, uh, any more publicity. But this guy posted, and he said, No Canucks took issue post game with Wayne Simmons forcing Alex Edler to fight. Simmons had 77 NHL fights. Edler had zero. The code is supposed to be about respect. There was none shown there. Want Edler to fight for hit on Hyman? Fine. Fine. But send someone else. So now what are we doing here? What are we doing here? So this guy, Edler, goes knee on knee with Hyman. So now the Leafs have to sit around and go, uh, who should we send? Do we have some European who has no fights that we can go in and have a slap fight with this guy? Cause then he'll learn his lessons. What do we have to do? Do we have some guy, do we want to send the equipment guy? Uh, maybe the stick boy, we have to get even with this guy, but we don't want to get too even with him. We don't want to send too big of a message. We just want to let him know, Hey, we didn't appreciate that. This guy I mean, you got to be kidding me. And what I said on Twitter is, why would you, if someone fucks with you, fucks with your family, because as I've said before, at this point, you've been part of a hockey team. You've been part of any sort of team. Your your teammates, that's your family. So someone fucks with your family. I don't know many people that are going to take it easy on that person. So now with this guy, and, and, and wasn't just him. His was just the most egregious of the tweets. But now this guy doesn't want the Leafs to go at him with their big... Could you imagine if the Leafs still had Colt Noor or Kenny Baumgartner and they went after? Oh, my God. This guy would have had a heart attack. But uh, so now they have to decide who they're going to send. And don't send the toughest guy on the team because that would be mean. No. Uh, you don't go after someone who hurt someone in your family with a slingshot when you can go at him with a rifle. That's the stupidest thing. I have ever heard that now we have to dictate who's going to go in because we can't send someone tough in. We got to send someone of equal toughness in. So I don't know. Is that guy Nylander? Is, does he have zero fights? Are you going to send him in to fight this Edler? You got to be fucking kidding me. Edler started the whole fucking thing. He went knee on knee with Hyman. I can't say Hyman enough. I'm such a child. He went knee on knee with Hyman. And now... Now the Leafs have to go, well, we can't really hurt him, but let's send the message, but let's just point at him. you got to be fucking kidding me. And then a, a former NHL goalie chimed in with this, which it's kind of like you take something stupid and then you double down on it. If you, Can you double down on someone? I don't know. The problem is, do you think Wayne Simmons wanted to do it? 
Do you think he enjoyed fighting Edler? The pressure for him to be the guy to do it is the problem. It's toxic masculinity in hockey, and the code is the most ridiculous thing going. It's 2021, not 1985. So, now, there's a few things wrong with that. First of all, if you say, and this, listen, this is my opinion, my opinion only, okay? Anyone who uses the term toxic masculinity, jump off a building. I mean, honestly, like it, it just, what, what are you hoping to accomplish? Toxic masculinity. Ladies and gentlemen, as I sit here at 1.30 on Sunday afternoon, I want to tell you something that you may or may not be aware of. There are differences between men and women. I know, I know that that might be hard for you to understand, but there are differences. Okay. If someone breaks into my house, I'm going to handle it. I don't want to send my wife out there. And my wife, for a girl, she's pretty tough. Like, I wouldn't, listen, if I was a girl, I wouldn't want to mess with my wife. But someone breaks into my house, I'm not sending my wife, I'm going to handle it. And do you know why? Toxic masculinity? Yes, because of toxic masculinity, I am going to handle the business that I'm supposed to handle. This whole thing, this this phrase, toxic masculinity, it's sickening. It's absolutely sickening. And I don't understand where people are going with this. Like, they'll use it to further their own agendas. But, I, I mean, if you have ever said toxic masculinity, as my Canadian friends say, give your head a shake. I don't understand. It's just about knowing your station. So... If someone breaks into my house, I'm not going to attempt anyway to end his life because of toxic masculinity. I'm going to do that because I'm protecting my family. And am I protecting my family because of toxic masculinity? No. Does Wayne Simmons want to fight Alex Edler? If you ask Wayne Simmons, do you want to fight Alexander Edler on a Wednesday where nothing happened, he's going to look at you and go, why am I going to fight that guy? But Wayne Simmons is a good teammate. He's a tough player. And I'm sure everybody in that locker room wanted to go after Alexander Edler because they saw their own teammate, Hyman, being helped off the ice because Edler gave him a hit, a knee-on-knee hit. So did Simmons want to fight him? I'm sure he did because he just saw his brother being helped off the ice in the last game. So did he want to fight him? I'm sure he did. Was he alone in the Leafs locker room? I'm sure he wasn't. But can we stop with this toxic masculinity stuff? I mean, honestly, it just sounds, it's weak. And I don't mean weak like, see, that's the problem. You're saying weak because of toxic masculinity. It's just weak shit, man. It's just really weak, toxic masculinity. It's like when you don't have anything to say, you just go with the toxic masculinity stuff. It's so fucking stupid. You know, really, it really is. And I just want to bring something else to light. Now, I understand Wayne Simmons, he's a right wing. And Alexander Edler, he's a defenseman. So, if you're not an offensive defenseman, your stats may not be as good as a forward. But let me just, I want to point something out. Wayne Simmons is not a goon. 
someone and the best part is because these people in the media have done everything in their power to get enforcers out of the game. But the problem is you can't get a guy like Wayne Simmons out of the game because Wayne Simmons can fight and he can play. And Wayne Simmons can stay in this league even if he never drops the gloves ever again. You're always going to have guys like Wayne Simmons and Tom Wilson and Milan Lucic who can play the game and and fight. So you've done your best to get the one-dimensional goons with the staged fights and appointment fights, blah, 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 dry your eyes. You've done your best to get those guys out, but you can't get out guys like Wayne Simmons because they play a good all-around game, good North American Canadian boys. They do it. They do everything that you'd want a player to do, okay? Wayne Simmons, just so you know, has played 942 NHL games has 508 points, including 258 goals. This is a guy. Yes, I have this memorized. No, I'm on hockey DB. This is a guy that had back-to-back 30 goal seasons. And the two seasons before that, he had 29 and 28. So over four seasons, his lowest goal total was 28. And his highest goal total was 32. I'll even do five seasons. In a five-season span, his lowest total in goals was 24 goals. His highest was 32. So this is a guy who can play the game too. So he has 508 points in 942 games. And Edler has 407 points in 915 games. Now, again, he's a defenseman. Doesn't look like he's an offensive defenseman. From the Although it looks like he had a 49-point year, 34-point uh, year, 42-point year. So I don't know what is gauged as an offensive defenseman anymore. I always think of guys like Paul Coffey from back in the day. But his points, he has less points in almost the same amount of games as Simmons. So my point is, and I thank Chris Dingman, he pointed this out on Twitter, um, Wayne Simmons is not one of these goons that people are trying to get out of the game that that I think falls into that line of toxic masculinity. God, I feel gross even just saying that, even though I'm making fun of these nerds. But Wayne Simmons did his job. And here's the funny thing. The key thing to take out of this is the first line from this Sportsnet guy, from his tweet, no Canucks took issue post-game with Wayne Simmons forcing Alex Edler to fight. So nobody on Edler's own team took issue with it. Why? Because that's what happens in the game when you allow the players to police themselves. No Canucks took issue with it because Edler has to answer for what he did. I don't understand what this issue is. And by the way, you know how many hockey players that don't play goal took issue with what happened? Zero. The only people on social media complaining about this incident, media and goalies. That's it. Media and goalies. No, And this guy, the guy from Sportsnet, I think ended up in, not in an argument, but in a heated discussion with Matthew Barnaby. Like, I don't understand. How do you argue with a former player over something that happened on the ice? Like, you know better than them. I don't get it. I don't get it. But one of the good things about social media is that it gives everybody a voice. But one of the bad things about social media is it gives everybody a voice. So you have to take the good with the bad. But please, I don't understand these people that are commenting on stuff that happens on ice and then arguing with former players. It doesn't make sense to me, especially guys like Matthew Barnaby, who 
is on the smaller side as far as hockey tough guys go, took on everybody, knows the job inside and out, was a bit of a shit disturber as well. So he can kind of come at it from all angles, but yet you're going to argue with the guy. So I don't understand it. This The media is just, to me, out of control. Um, no Canucks. No Canucks had a problem with Wayne Simmons, yet you do, which to me pretty much sums it up. So uh, I have ranted now for about a half hour. Uh, I am sure that most of you agree with me. So um, if you don't, let me know on Twitter. Let me know on social media. Send me a text, whatever. But I'm pretty sure most of you agree with me. I think you appreciate the old school game and uh, don't see anything wrong with what Wayne Simmons did, just like the guys on the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, before we join part two of my chat with Drew Fatta, I just want to remind you of one thing. The only thing dumber than a three-on-three in overtime is a shootout to decide a game that was just played for 60 minutes, guys giving everything they had. So don't forget that. Ladies and gentlemen, part two of my chat with Drew Fat. Now, this next question is a question I ask everybody who who has played in the NHL, but I think it's even cooler now based on the fact that you basically uh, negotiate, not negotiated the contract, but the talks got started in the Tim Hortons. Um, Mm -hmm. How did you find out that you were getting called up to the Islanders? We were in uh, Portland and there was, uh, uh, you know, rumors that uh, Martinek was, I hope I'm saying his last name, right? Martinek, yep. That uh, he was going to be out for like the season. Mm -hmm. With like a broken leg. I think he hurt his knee, but uh, the rumors were that he broke his leg. Uh, and it was there was no one really to call up mm-hmm. aside from Rick Barry. But being a younger guy, I didn't know that Barry had to clear waivers right. to go up and to come down. Mm-hmm. I was still, I didn't have to clear waivers because, one, I wasn't even on an NHL contract. Right. I was on an American League contract. So... When Jack Capuano actually pulled me aside and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, uh, taping my stick. <laughs> like I was getting ready for the game. Like we yeah. were there a couple hours before and he's like, you're not playing tonight. I was like, uh, what I do. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, you're just I, like, you're staying silent. I have no mm-hmm. conversation. Like this is the one way conversation. I have no idea what's going on. And he's like, uh, there's a limo outside. You gotta get your stuff and get out of here. I was like, uh, okay. And I no, I was like, I'm dumb. Like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm like, what is happening right now? Do they get traded or something? Like, and uh, he's like, and then he's like, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. You're going to play tomorrow in, in Long Island. And I was just like, okay, cool. Like, uh, I, I, you know, you have like, the reaction is like, you're stunned, yeah. but you're trying to play it cool. And you, uh, you know, you don't know what's happening. So now we're on the road and, we in American League, you just wear tracksuits mm-hmm. on the road because you don't see anybody. You don't you don't have any uh, you don't have suit tie. Right. You know, no dress clothes. So Jeremy Colton was out, and he actually um, he uh, he was on the road trip with us because he had to do rehab, mm-hmm. and he had a suit because he was sitting in the stands. And I'm like JC, I'm like I, I need a suit, like I need something. So now. JC is the head coach of uh, Chicago now. Yeah. And he looks exactly the same as he did when we played together. He's this just tall, skinny guy. Right. And I'm like this 
you know, rectangle of a human <laughs> trying to fit into this guy's suit. And I got like flood pants on because they, and I, the, I can't even button up the pants because they don't, they don't go all the way around. I can't get a belt around me because it doesn't work. And the shirt doesn't even button up all the way through his jacket. feels like I'm uh, like, I'm fucking Tommy boy. And uh, <laughs> Tommy boy is like fat guy in a little coat. And I didn't even care. Yeah. Like I was the most uncomfortable human. And I was like, I don't care. I'm doing this. And I'm, I packed up my stuff. I was in the limb, uh, those country cars or town cars or whatever it's called. And I'm on my way and I'm like, fuck, I gotta, I gotta call somebody. Like, I gotta, who am I going to call? So obviously I called my mom and I called my dad and, uh, it was exciting and that was a fun time. And I met, uh, actually no, we're, we put in New York. No, Washington. What the fuck am I talking about? We were in Washington for my first game yep. and, and I check into the hotel and I know like, I'm just like jacked up. I have so much energy. I, I, I'm just so excited about everything. And, um, I didn't sleep like one bit, like yeah. not even a chance. Got a, got the phone call at seven thirty in the morning. Uh, I had to go down to the lobby, sign my one day contract with the New York Islanders <laughs> with, uh, with Gar Snow. Mm. And this is my first time meeting snow yeah. because I didn't go to training camp. Right. And it was just like, I knew what he looked like because he's like nine feet tall and, yeah. you know, he's just a very, uh, distinctive looking, uh, yeah. distinctive looking man. Yeah. And it was the same thing, like a one way conversation. Like I didn't say a single word. I was just like <laughs> Nick, nodding your head. You're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, I went to the rink. Seven o'clock game. I showed up at fucking eleven o'clock. Yeah, I was like, I had no food, no coffee, no nothing. I was like, I don't even know what to do because I was like, what now? Like, well, now what happens? I'm like seven hours early for this game. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you yeah, had awesome. you had to be excited because for people who may not know, that car ride from from Portland, Maine to Washington D.C. is a pretty long car ride, and you're in the most uncomfortable suit. Yeah. Well, I hopped on a plane. Oh, okay. They got a. They, they drove me to the airport, and oh. uh, I hopped on a plane. And okay. uh, but I wore my tracksuit like on the plane because oh, okay. I was like okay. I didn't want to. And then um, when I checked into the hotel, I bought a belt mm-hmm. and uh, a new dress shirt and a new tie. And the NHL treats their players pretty damn good. And we were staying at the Four Seasons oh, in geez. Washington. So now I went down to the to the gift shop or the you know there's like how many different little restaurants and yeah. boutiques they don't call them gift shops when you get the Four Seasons they right. call boutiques <laughs> and uh, so I'm like okay I get my shirt and the guy fits it for me and I get the stuff and whatever and he's like yeah that'll be four hundred and fifty bucks oh, fuck. I was like fuck <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea yeah. I ended up using I had American credit card mm-hmm. and then I had my Canadian credit card because you know two different bank accounts mm-hmm. and I didn't have enough money in my American account yeah because I was only making fucking 40 <laughs> bucks I was only making 40 grand which yeah you know it was only uh every two weeks is like a thousand dollars right and, right you know with with uh your cell phone car payments car insurance uh, and then rent on your on the place that I was living it was like that didn't you know that two grand a month did not stretch very far right uh, so I ended up using my Canadian credit card to buy the stuff and then I called my mom and I was like I'm like ma you gotta pay off my credit card because I don't have any money <laughs> that's oh, tremendous man. yeah 
Oh, and she was like, yeah, no problem. I'll help you out. And I was like, oh, God. You should have so, walked You should have walked outside the hotel and looked both ways for a target or something. Oh, my God. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. And uh, it was fun. And I still have I, – I do not fit into that shirt <laughs> now. <laughs> but I uh, I still have it. I still have that shirt. Uh, so did Carlton get his suit back or did you save oh, that yeah. too? Oh, yeah. I gave it to him and uh, I washed it for him and nice. stuff. And it's like, you know, I left. You know, it was a – uh, great gesture on uh, on JC's part. Yeah. Now, you like you say, you get to the rink. You're at the rink all day, whatever. You know, just hanging out, probably just take soaking it all in. It's actually it, to me, it sounds like an amazing story. But tell me what it's now for me as a fan. Like I know when I go to to a hockey arena, you just walk in, especially if you get there early and there's not too many people, and you just walk in and you smell the ice and you feel the cold, and it just is such a great feeling. But now this is you. And again, this is you, not a season before you're playing games in Wheeling. Now you're yeah. in Washington, D.C., wearing a, a, an NHL jersey. What was that first experience like going out there for, for the warm-up? I, I was nervous like a lot before. And obviously because I was there so early, I had nothing to do mm-hmm. and no one to talk to because I was by myself. I'm the only freaking the rink rats aren't even at the rink. Yeah. And... Uh, I was stewing in like my own thoughts because I had no idea what was going on. And finally, when like the locker room opened, I grabbed a cup of coffee and I went and sat on the um, the visitors bench in Washington. And I'm staring at the ceiling and I'm looking at the rafters and you know all the different uh, banners that were holding up there. And I'm looking at the rink and I'm like, and Washington actually is not even one of the nicer rinks in the NHL. Right. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like. This is fucking pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like if anyone was watching me at the time or did a video on me, they're probably like the weirdest look on my face or whatever. And uh, Ted Nolan was the coach at the time. And uh, I have actually known Teddy since I was a kid because I grew up playing with his son and his uh, nephews mm-hmm. all through, you know, peewee hockey and Bantam and Midget and stuff like that. And uh, I, uh, I came across Teddy, you know, every year, every summer with, uh, with hockey and stuff. And, uh, he sits down next to me and he's like, uh, it's like, what's going on? <laughs> I was like, uh, nothing. So, uh, you know, just looking at the thing and, uh, he's like, I'm going to keep this short. He's like, there are only three things I want you to do today. He's like, number one, I want you to work hard. He's like, number two, I want you to have fun. And number three, Whenever Ovechkin's on the ice, I want you to get the fuck off. <laughs> I was like, okay, I can do that. And like, he was like so joking and like so like having a good time and trying yeah. to like. Obviously, he read read the situation and was like, you know, this kid's a fucking nervous wreck. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just like, I was like, yeah, I was like all jacked up. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah of course, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. Not knowing that he was joking, mm-hmm. I was just trying to like, you know, be that like rah rah. Yeah, no problem. Do whatever I gotta do. Right. And. I remember going into warm up, and once I touched, I was like, "This like I was like the Tin Man. I was like rusty, and and then I hit the ice, and it was just like I took took a lap, and that was it. Like yeah. I just everything just kind of went away, and I felt good. And then they got me on the ice second shift. I didn't start the game, obviously, and then I was on the second shift uh, right after the start of the period. And R.J. Umberger, I think it was Umberger, he uh, he hit me in the corner. Mm-hmm. I dumped it in. I went back, went D to D, 
And uh, he hit me, and I was just like, okay, I can do this. Yeah, I can play this. And then, uh, you know, I played like five, six minutes or whatever it was, and uh, it was good. And I was just like, it was just like the thing I'll never forget the rest of my life. Were you out there, <clears throat> excuse me, were you out there against Ovechkin at all? Yeah, there was, because uh, my brother, Rico, was actually in Washington. He played for the Capitals uh, the two years before that. Okay. And we were in the corner because they had, it was an icing call. And obviously they're going to put the Ovechkin on the eye when they see, like, you know, they see me on the ice. Yeah. <laughs> they're going like, to put Ovechkin out there. And then uh, we ended up battling in the corner. And he tried, he tried to move his way to the, to the front of the net. And we did, he was carrying the puck and he did, we did this like uh, reverse hit and ended up standing my ground and he ended up going down and then the puck goes out of the zone and they're going back up. And, um, I'm like, you know, two or three strides ahead of Ovi and he's coming back into the play and he's like in this big Russian thick accent that he has. And he's like, why did you hit me? I like your brother. And, like, I didn't laugh. I didn't do anything. I just, like, did, like, a 90-degree turn and, like, went off the ice. I was like, I'm done. This is done. <laughs> I'm not even supposed to be talking to you. Yeah, I was like, I'm done. I'm, like, I'm out of here. I'm like, yeah. Uh, it was funny. And then I, I called my brother after the game, and uh, he was over in Germany at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I woke him up because I was like, I don't care what time it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then I told him the story, and uh, it was uh, – uh, he didn't mind that I woke him up for that story. Now um... – did you find yourself in the ice with Donald Brashear at all that night? Uh, not that night, mm-hmm. but when he would played in uh, the following year, when he was in um, the Philly, New York. Yeah, he played for the Rangers. Oh, Rangers, right? Okay. Yeah, that's when uh, that's when I came across him. All right, we'll get to funny. that. Yeah, we'll I get remember. to that. Yeah. Let me ask you about a few guys who uh, who you played with at the Islanders that year. Uh, you played three games. Uh, you had a fight, which we're going to get into, but there's three guys I want to ask you about. Um, all three guys I love. Um, two of them at the time were were big time veterans, and another one was just coming into his own. He really blossomed with the Islanders. Um, Aaron Asham, Chris Simon, yeah. and Brendan Witt. Yeah, beauties, all beauties. I'll let you have the floor. <laughs> um, I Ash Ash was like. So, like I only had one conversation with Ash mm-hmm. when uh, I got called. I only had that. I had that one game, mm-hmm. and then he was gone the following year. But uh, he's like, uh, he's like, here it's your first game. I was like, yeah, don't tell anybody. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I'm like, don't tell anybody. He's like, why? I'm like, because I just spent four hundred fifty dollars on a shirt, and I don't have any money. Because <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've heard this before, but if you wherever you play your first game. You uh, you put it's called money on the board, and it goes into the team kind of kitty mm-hmm. or team fund, yep. and then at the end of the year you have like a team party. Yeah, uh, you know you put money on the board for different occasions or whatever it is, your birthday or you know it's your your hundredth game or you know some sort of milestone. And uh, I uh, he's like he's like how much you want to put on the board, and I was just like uh what what's the minimum that I can put on the board, <laughs> and he's. Uh, He's like, don't worry about it. He's like, five hundred bucks is like the minimum when yeah. you get called up into NHL. Okay. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, buddy, I have like ten dollars to my name right now. I got nothing. <laughs> he's like, how much? Is this? So I had like, I think I had like a hundred dollars on me. Yeah. Because uh, I had per diem, like when the <laughs> the teams give you per diem. Yeah. And uh, he's like, if we win, I'll spot you the other the other. I had I had a hundred bucks on me, and uh, he was said, if we won, I'll spot you the other four. 
Nice. And I was like, well, thank God we lost. <laughs> you should have said, dude, I just called my mom to pay my credit card. Yeah. Bill. I'm like, you have no idea what's going on in my life right now. And then so, uh, with Sty, yeah. uh, Sty's, he's from the reserve yep. uh, here in the Sioux. Mm-hmm. Um, so same thing, Sty and Teddy, like we always cross paths uh, throughout uh, um throughout the summer because we would like skate together every once in a while or whatever it was. And, you know, Sai is like this, he, he's got this switch mm-hmm. where if he wants to hurt you, he will yeah. because he's that big, he's that strong and he's that technical when it comes to fighting. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when he turns it off, he's just like this lovable teddy bear. Yeah. And he just wants to go hunting and go fishing and, you know, keep to himself. And he keeps the people that are, you know, close to him. He, he keeps them tight. And, uh, you know, Cy was, Cy was great. Like I love Cy. Yeah. And he was just kind of like that, you know, I don't know. It's, you know, um, he wasn't a mentor because I wasn't there like long enough. Right. But I think if I would have, if we would have played together longer, or, you know, he took that, like, what, 45 game suspension? Yeah, the two suspensions. So when, yeah, so, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when he, I got called up a bunch of times when he was on suspension. Mm-hmm. So we actually never really, we only crossed paths in the NHL, uh, like, four times. Okay. But then all four times we had, you know, nice conversations and stuff like that. But for the most part, I always knew Cy as in, like, I would see him fishing or, yeah. like, cross paths and stuff like that. And he was just always like just the nicest guy. Yeah. I love him. I absolutely love that guy. Yeah. And the guy can play. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, he put up 20 goals a couple of times and you know, that's what made him so dangerous Yeah, because it was like, you know, Probert when he was, you know, obviously he was the toughest guy in the league, but Probert put up points because no one wanted to go around him. Mm. Now, Cy was putting up points because he was good. Yeah. And there was a difference between the two because everybody was like so scared of Probert back in like, you know, the seventies and eighties and early nineties because he was just like crazy and he would just win every fight because he was, it was just lasted longer than everybody else. So no one wanted to cross paths with him, but Cy could like shoot, skate, put the puck in the net. Like he had a set of hands on. Mm-hmm. He, um, I mean, he's just, I, I've, fortunate enough where while he was playing him and i had a real good relationship every time he'd come to the island or something we'd always chat and mm-hmm. just a super super like i tell people all the time it's like there's there's really no better guy to have in your corner because like you say when he's just chris simon he's this really like sort of guy just he has this deep soothing calming voice and everything yep. and he'll put his arm around you and you're like i've never felt safer in my life and then you <laughs> see him then when it the light switch turns you're like i want to be nowhere near this guy you know and yeah. i think people nowadays you know i guess uh an, an analogy to a player nowadays i guess would sort of be tom wilson just in the sense where wilson's unpredictable out there you don't know what he's gonna do but i don't think people look at tom wilson and there's no, I don't think it's an, an intimidation factor just by looking at him. Where back then, you even during warm up, if you want to get scared, just look at Chris Simon between his look yeah. and the size, and you know that if he snaps, you have no idea. It's almost like you'd be lucky if he drops the gloves because maybe yeah. he'll just beat the shit out of you, but it could get a lot worse. Oh, 100%. Mm. 
and that's what made him so scary and and so it's it was so scary and also so valuable at the time yep. and you know when he when when Teddy took over and Teddy and Cy are friends you know Cy was you know he was in his he was in a good element he was in a good he was in a good spot unfortunately you know the the suspensions and you know everything kind of caught up to him but that was like that switch that I was talking about earlier yeah. where you know when he stepped on Holwig, right? Was it Holwig yeah. stepped on? Holwig, like, I, no, Holwig got um, the stick in the face. Holwig got stepped on. And I think yeah, Rutu got stepped on. Yeah. And, and Rutu probably deserved it, if we're being honest. But those are two guys who throw the body around. Mm-hmm. And, like, they, those are, t- like, Rutu and Holwig were, like, they didn't even, like, didn't even need a stick to play the game the way they played it. Like, mm-hmm. they would just run around and hit guys. Yep. Which, you know, that's not part of the game anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, every, you know, every team had like one of those guys, but if you're not going to fight, if you're going to, like my dad said to me when I was a kid, he's like, if you're going to play that way, then you got to be able to fight. Yeah. And if you're not going to fight, then you're going to get hammered. And that's what happened to Rutu. And that's what happened to Holwig yeah. because it's like all of a sudden size, like, okay, let's fight. And then you say, no, you can't take a run at a guy like Sai and then not fight him without something happening. Like, it's like, so you don't fight him, he's going to step on you. And if you don't fight him, he'll cross-check you in the teeth. Like, it's just, that's just the way it was. And that's, uh, you know, if I think if you have an understanding of how the game is played, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, like those little game-within-a-game scenarios, then you can't blame a guy like Sai for doing, like, he got the suspension, he deserved the suspension. I'm not, like... I'm not like saying yeah. that was terrible. Right. It was terrible. But as a guy who understands, you know, the ins and outs and the game with, you know, those little scenarios, mm-hmm. um, those guys, you know, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to say they deserved it, but that's <laughs> well, terrible what happened to them. But yeah. in the end, you can't complain that that happened when you take a run at a guy like Sai and don't fight him. Yep. I don't yeah. think many people were shedding tears for Rutu anyway. I mean, he's pissed enough people <laughs> off over his career. So uh, oh, yeah. I'm sure Cy probably got a lot of texts and calls going, you know what? Good. You know, like, sorry, yeah. you got suspended, but that was nice. So, yeah. uh, and I, I think to further prove your point, we go to your second NHL game, which was at the Coliseum against New Jersey and uh, Mike Rupp, you know, big, tough player. He kind of had his choice. Does he want to fight uh, Drew Fatta <laughs> or does he want to <laughs> fight Chris Simon? So I, if, I think he made the right choice. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're in Mike Rupp skates, are you making that same choice? Cause he, cause he, it wasn't even that bad. Like yeah. he, he was looking, he was fishing for a rebound mm. and he ended up, uh, you know, slashing slash push the puck, um, against, uh, against, uh, Di Pietro mm. and obviously size coming in, I'm coming in. And size like, you know, you can't, he literally said, you don't do that. Yeah. And, you know, Rupp's like, I'm not fighting. And then, and then I came and I was like, what about me? <laughs> <laughs> and then he like dropped his gloves right away. And then we, we fought and, uh, you know, it wasn't a very good fight, but, uh, you know, I was happy to get that one under my belt. And he ended up ripping like my Jersey off my pants. Like the whole tie down came right off my, uh, right off my, um, right off my pants. Oh, is that my, right? My pants. And then he, he ripped my shoulder pad yes. off of like the chest protector. Yep, I saw that and on I was TV. Just, like, 
I was like, man, that guy's fucking strong. <laughs> well, and and if you if you watch the replay, because you were obviously focused on something else, Simon is pissed that oh, he yeah. fought you. He was really pissed off. So. Oh, super pissed. He was in the, even in the room. Yeah, like even in the room, he was pissed off that didn't that didn't happen. But yeah. I you know he came down relatively quickly. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But he was just pissed off because it was like, you know, Sai was like that. Like we said earlier, like if Sai's on the ice, yeah, you can't do certain things. And it's like, that's just the way it was. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't understand that rule, then you deserve to get beat. And that's how, that's how he looked at it. And, you know, deservably so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, obviously, the NHL doesn't have those guys anymore. But yeah. if, if there were, you know, the game, I think the game has evolved to, like, I love the game now. And it's fast and it's entertaining. And there's a lot of goals. And it's, it's great. Um but it's it's became that way because of you know guys like Sai who weren't mm-hmm. in the league. Yeah. Which I'm not I'm not saying that it's terrible. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying this is you know you're asking how is it transition from A to B? I'm like because of guys like Sai, like yep. they're not in the league anymore. Now you did go back down to Bridgeport and you you had one of your better fights of the year uh, again against Albany. Always at your best against Albany, and uh, you dropped Cody McLeod, who's a tough guy. Do you remember that fight? Uh, yeah, that's, I feel bad for him. (laughs) (laughs) I, like, I, when I, when I hit him, Mm -hmm. it was, uh, so it was a good fight back and forth, a couple exchanges, but he came across with a right and it, like it brushed like the front of my nose Mm -hmm. and he just missed and what, and then it actually opened him up and it left him vulnerable and I came back with like kind of like an overhand right and I caught him square and like his, oh man, it's even think about it right now. It's gross. Yeah. His face exploded Oof. and it was like, I felt his nose turn like in my knuckles. Oh, like fuck. that's all, yeah. you know, and I, and he went down mm-hmm. and I was just like, oh shit. And like I remember thinking, I was in a penalty box, and I was just like, "I'm like, fuck, that's gross." <laughs> yeah. But you know, I was, I didn't like normally after a fight, you get that adrenaline and you're mm-hmm. all jacked up, and then I didn't have that, and right. I didn't have that. Like I was like, I felt sorry for him. Like yeah. I really, like I really did. And I know it's, and it's a sore, and you live and die by it. And that could have been me. Yeah. And if, you know, if his, if he reached a quarter of an inch, not even two centimeters, that could have been my nose. Yeah you know, one second before. And that's how quickly things change. Uh, and then we haven't played each other. Like, I think it was like 10 days later mm-hmm. and he had this big bubble, like big, sh- like shield on his face. Yeah. And, uh, I didn't say anything to him, but it was like, we were all quiet. Like yeah. no one said anything. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. Do you remember where you were the following night? Uh, no, the next night, the, the very next night, uh, unless my dates are wrong, you were in Ottawa. Oh yeah. I did yeah. get called up that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The very I next night we... you're in Ottawa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That you, was, uh, anything happened that night that's memorable? Yeah. I got a, I got a minus because I tried to fight, uh, Chris Neal mm-hmm. and I wasn't like looking for a fight, but I remember like, 
I was like, okay, if I'm going to stay here, like I need to like show that I can like fight these guys or show that I can play against these guys and, and battle in the corner and not get scored on. And Chris Neal was obviously on the fourth line and I was obviously on the, the third pairing. And so we were playing against each other and we're battling at the top of the blue line in front of uh, Ottawa's bench. And I'm like right in front of him. I'm like, let's go, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't say anything. He just like shuffed me off. He's like, I don't want to do this. So I stepped in front of him again and I'm like, let's go. And, uh, he puts his arms up, starts celebrating. And I was like, motherfucker. And uh, <laughs> I watched the replay on the big screen. Mm-hmm. And because I was trying to fight him, I was out of position. And it was a two-on-one the other way, and they scored. Anything, anything, yeah. else, anything else happened that night that might be memorable? Uh, Yeah. Well, you can get into that. I thought this was a fighting thing. I, I didn't listen, know you want to talk about goals. Oh, well, listen. Fortunately, you didn't score too many in the, in the NHL. <laughs> so we, we could go over all of them. But, yeah, that's uh, a short podcast. Yeah. So, no. Hey, listen. I... It, it, it is. We do focus on the fights, but you know we got to talk about milestones here. So talk about your first NHL goal. <laughs> uh, we were down five-one, I think, and there's about eleven minutes left in the third, and uh, Gerard was our uh, assistant coach, and he's like, he's like, get on the ice. I'm like, okay. He's like, don't come off. Like. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I have no idea. So me and um, Campoli, mm-hmm. we played the next nine minutes together. Oh, we didn't come off the ice. Uh, well, there was like breaks and stuff in between. I think yeah. I changed because I was like, I was too nervous. Yeah. I was like, I wasn't, I had to change because I, uh, I just didn't have that like confidence to like not come off the ice. Like I didn't want to be that guy. Right, right. Uh, you know, uh, Campoli, obviously he had the confidence to stay out there. So he did. Yeah. But, and, uh, it was just like a random, uh, it's just like a random play that kind of like formulated, uh, I was skating up the ice, made a, uh, uh, pass to the centerman at the top of the circles in our own zone. Uh, you know, it, it, it uh, progresses into the, into the center ice where, uh, I think it was Yashin, Yashin dumps it in goes into the corner, they're battling, and I'm just kind of, like, creeping my way. And Yashin gets the puck behind the net. And because, you know, I'm a fourth-line player, <laughs> I don't think they really saw me. And uh, I remember getting the puck in the in the slot, and I was thinking, I wanted to pass it. I don't know why I wanted to pass it. <laughs> and I'm looking, like, to my left because I was, like, I don't know what I was thinking. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm in the you know, quick quick thinking, and I take a shot. And I shoot to the right, obviously. And then Emery, uh, you know, uh, rest in peace, yeah. Emery. But uh, um, I think Razor thought I was going to pass because I've, I wasn't trying to fake out anybody. Mm-hmm. I just did it because, <laughs> you know, I was just like probably like uh, <laughs> didn't have enough confidence to shoot it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, luckily it went in. And do you remember how much time was left on the clock when you scored? Uh, no. like Five seconds. Oh really? You scored at nineteen fifty-five of the third period. That's awesome. Emery must have loved that. <laughs> oh yeah, it just kills his friggin' uh, goals against average. But I yeah. remember, like, I was like, I wanted to celebrate, but I was like, I can't because it's it's a five-two goal or like whatever yeah. the score was at mm-hmm. the time. And it's just like you, you know, certain things. Like you talk about the game within a game. Certain mm-hmm. things you can do, and certain things you can't. Uh, celebrating. A, a second goal on a 5-2 loss with five seconds left in the game is the no-no. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Even if it is your first initial goal, like you can't, it's a no, no. And I remember just putting my head down and like, you know, like you can't like, you know, do the hand slaps across the boards with the right. teammates because it's like, that's a no, no. Like you right. can't, it's five, two games over. Like we're done. Uh, and I remember like putting my face into my Jersey and I was like, ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I love, see, that's the thing that no, no, player that i've spoken to that that did the role ever has a boring first goal story so that's why they're always great <laughs> stories are always great yeah. um, so again i can't help but go back to the same kid who's going up and down with wheeling and wilkesbury now he's talking to the coach in a, in a tim hortons he gets his nhl sniff he plays three games scores the first nhl goal now you're playing an nhl playoff game yeah how did that come about that was a mistake made by snow okay because at the trade deadline they picked up two defensemen that were playing over in europe okay so they were making a playoff push and martinic obviously was he was out for the season yeah and they needed some like experience to kind of to push them into the playoffs so they picked up these two guys that had NHL experience before, but were playing overseas in, in different countries. Mm-hmm. And they finished off the season, but they were not allowed to play playoff games because of how the contracts were stipulated and, you know, certain laws or, yeah. uh, you know, bureaucratic tape that you had to go through. And um, I was, our season ended in Bridgeport. We got called up as like black aces. Mm-hmm. And we were skating and training and stuff like that. And I was on the Black Aces. I wasn't even, I wasn't part of like the practice. So you had like the, the team, mm-hmm. then you had your practice squad, and then you have the Black Aces. And the Black Aces had to go through like waivers or like they had to go through, you know, certain types of, uh, uh, you know, bureaucratic tape to get yeah. called up. So I <clears throat> end up trans. So after these guys, after the league said, no, these two guys can't play you got to put something in your roster. So they were short. Yeah. So now they went from seven defense to five. Okay. And now they're like, okay, well we need to play with six. And so then we were in Buffalo and, uh, sure enough, they're like Teddy, no, or not even Teddy, uh, Jack Capuano calls me and he's like, he's like, go, you gotta go practice with those other guys today. And I was like, Oh, okay, whatever. (laughs) Because I didn't have to go through waivers because I was still doing, uh, one day contracts Okay, going up and down. Like I wasn't even on a full contract. Right. Right. So I was like the only guy that could really go through without any, without any red tape. Yeah. Which is like, thank you very much. I will take that. <laughs> it's well, so funny because my brother has played like 300 games in the NHL, but not a single playoff game. Oh, that's hilarious. And I was like, Oh yeah, good for you. Well, I got one. <laughs> now, Next season comes, and you just said you're you're playing these one day contracts over the summer. Did I'm assuming you signed a contract with the Islanders, a two way deal? Yeah, so I signed a two way deal. Um, uh, it was relatively early. I, I was home for like a week, and then I ended up getting the contract done. And it was a two way deal, same thing, American League uh, in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, went back to training camp the following year. And uh, I know you had one fight in the exhibition. You fought on the big stage at MSG. You fought a uh, big dude, former Islander Jason Strudwick. Yeah, Strud's. He's uh, he's a character. Actually. Yes. I didn't know he was a character after until uh, the stuff that he's done mm-hmm. since he's re- since he's retired. Yeah. But um, he he came behind me, 
and like face washed me like in the corner. And I was pissed because I was like, oh, it's fucking gross. Like your gloves are disgusting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and because uh, it's exhibition game, he didn't want to fight right away. And then mm-hmm. we ended up fighting, obviously, because I kind of like forced his hand. We had to fight. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, mean, I was like, fuck. Like, I don't like the guys in the American League were never that tall. Yeah. And say so, like, oh, Fritz, like Mitch Fritz. Mm-hmm. There was like, you know, Fritz, he wasn't in the he I never played against Fritz. Yeah. Um, he was in Hartford, but like never really in Hartford. Like we were always, I never actually had to play against them. Right. So the tallest guy I ever had to fight was like Craig Weller. Right. And you know, Wellesy and I are relatively, I think Wellesy's got an inch or an inch on me, mm-hmm. but I was like, man, these guys are so fucking big. Like, why are they so tall? Like, it's like, I, don't, I can't get into these. I gotta like do the whole like Mike Tyson and like get in real tight and do these like up jabs. And, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, man, these guys are fucking big, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a, you know, it was a decent fight, but you know the guy's so big and he's so yeah. strong. He got the better of me on that one. Um, he probably has better hair too. I mean, he's got <laughs> uh, he's got a nice flow going there, Struts. Yeah, I tell does. you, yeah, uh, good season in Bridgeport, seventy-one games. And and to me, the the big thing when I see a guy playing seventy-one games is it means you. And, and of course, you played a few games with the NHL. It means that you were relatively healthy all year, which is a which is a big deal when you play physical like you. Now, obviously, you had. You know, you're always gonna have the bumps and bruises and the and knuckles and everything, but 71 games for a physical player is a, is a pretty big deal, in my opinion. Yeah, that was um, I think I was 24 at the time, and you know, you're 24, mm. you're fucking invincible. Yeah. You can fall off a two foot, uh, two story house and like still be fine with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As I got older, I was lucky at that point in my career where uh, I didn't have any you know, any surgeries. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't separate my shoulder yet. I didn't have a surgery on my ankle. Uh, I didn't have my knee scoped at the time. (laughs) Like, you know, things kind of caught up to me, but, uh, it was just, you know, one, it's luck Mm -hmm. because no way you can, you know, not get injured. It's just, just the way hockey was. But, uh, yeah, that was, you know, it was just, it, it was just one of those things where one, if I was injured, I didn't care Yeah, because I was just, a, I was still young and I was still dumb and I was just full of positive energy because I had a lot of, um, uh, you know, the, the coaching staff liked me. Yeah. So when I went into the rink, even if I was injured, I, you know, I still played because it was, because I wanted to, and right. it wasn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't hard to play injured when you're in an atmosphere that they created for me, it was, you know, it was a no brainer. Now the season before you led the team in penalty minutes and, and for the most part, you and Barry were the only two guys that were there the whole year that really played physical. This was not the case. Your second year, your second year, I'm going to rattle off some names. You don't have to, we, we've actually spoken about a bunch of them, but just so the, the listeners know you went from it being you and Barry primarily to the following season had yourself had Kip Brennan, had Matthew Spiller, uh, mm-hmm. Pascal Morenci, uh, Daryl Bootland, Michael Haley, Tim Jackman, Joe Rulier, and Olivier Labelle for, for a few games. So it's a pretty different dynamic from the, the style team you were on the year before. Well, of course. I think they, they noticed that they needed to toughen up the team. Yeah. Um, you know, we were – we finished <laughs> – not dead last, but we finished at the bottom. Um, 
and we just had a bunch of like kids yeah. on the team. We weren't really, uh, we were definitely not a tough team to play against. And then, you know, the, uh, the arena that Bridgeport offers is one of the better arenas in the American hockey league, especially at the time, mm-hmm. because in that division, essentially like Wilkes-Barre and Bridgeport were the only ones with like NHL ice surface. Mm-hmm. And it was like a newer building. So when as an opposing player, I actually liked going to play in Bridgeport because it wasn't like a tough place to play. Right. And I think after my first year, you know, the organization was like, no, we can't have that. We definitely need some more toughness. Mm-hmm. And then they signed a lot of toughness. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Jack Capuano because the teams that he had down there, I mean, it might have been really the first few years at Bridgeport. They had tough teams like Goddard and Belak and those guys. Then there was a little bit of a spell like your first year where there wasn't too much. And then starting with your second year, it seems like they didn't just have one or two guys. It was literally a third of the team will punch your face in if they have to. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was uh, definitely not an easy place to play as an opposing player coming in. Yeah. And uh we had a good team though too yeah and you know i think jeff tambellini like broke a bunch of records that year for you know goals and points and stuff and you know you had a guy like blake como and uh and nielsen yeah so like we had a team but with law with the islanders kind of like in the bottom half uh all year and like fighting for a playoff spot and then not in the playoffs and back and forth we had a bunch of call-ups so our team essentially was toughness like every night. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like if Tambellini got called up or Como got called up, they were filled in with, with Pascal mm-hmm. or they were filled in with Kip, you know, and like, and it was just like, we never really had a full roster of the skilled guys. Right. So we were, yeah, we were top that year, <laughs> but well, they were actually tougher after I left. Well, like years after that, like they picked oh, up Gillies. Yeah. And so, then yeah. Haley was still there. Mm-hmm. Like they were, that was, Brent that was Glenn. even tougher teams. Yeah. It was uh, next level type stuff a few years later, but, but again, that army that you guys have there is, is pretty formidable too. So, Oh yeah. Two things I want to talk about uh, fights incidents that season. Uh, do you remember what happened in the game again against Albany? I don't know what is it with you in Albany. Uh, you fought Tim Conboy after you went after Keith Coin. Do you remember that scenario? Yeah. Um, so Keith was one of those like he was super skilled and he yeah. he put up a hundred points a couple times in the, in the American League mm-hmm. and he just, you know, he'd run his mouth all the time. He was just this little guy and you couldn't really say anything or do anything because then he would put up four points. Right. So I knew he wasn't going to fight me, but we battled all the time because I was, I was uh, playing against teams, top lines. I was, you know, I, you know, I went from a person who played four minutes a game to a guy who was, uh, you know, number one killing penalty killing unit to shutting down teams, top lines. Mm-hmm. And, Every time I went into Albany, I'd fucking get lit up for like minus two or like, you know, whatever happens. Like they would just always score goals and he would always run his mouth. And I was always pissed off because I was like, I can't fucking tell me supposed to do here. Like I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And so finally he was running his mouth. I'm like, if you say one more fucking thing, I'm going I'm gonna, <laughs> to, I'm going to sucker punch you at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so he 
said something stupid and chirped <laughs> me or whatever. I was like, okay. And then that was at like the second period. And then sure enough, right at the end of the game where uh, we're, I was in, he was in, he was in front of the net. I was even at the blue line. And then I just fucking skated right up to him and he turned around and I fucking suckered him. And then Convoy jumped in and there's a bunch of guys that jumped in then because yeah. obviously that's your hundred point guy. You can't yeah. like let that happen. And, uh, I remember, <laughs> uh, I can't remember who it was after, but, uh, a guy with was like, man, what the fuck are you doing? I was like, I told him if he ran his mouth, I was going to sucker him. And they're like, <laughs> Oh, I'm like, well, I'm a man of my word. So, <laughs> guess what? He fucking sucker him. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You almost had to do it. You put it out there. You could not do it. Yeah. So. And you know, it was just a, he was a real, he's a, he still is. He's obviously a skilled player. Yeah. And, uh, he just had my number all the time. Mm -hmm. I was just, I got sick of it. So I was like, I can't, you're obviously beating me in the game. Mm -hmm. So I will beat you a different way. <laughs> and another guy you fought who, and, and you've mentioned a few guys so far, like next level guys, like, um, uh, Marasti and Gillies and, and Yablonski. And there's another guy who you fought that year and you later became a teammate of who I think is, if I had to make a list of guys I wouldn't want to get hit by, Matt Karkner would definitely be oh, yeah. a guy I don't want to punch me in the face. So fortunately, you got to be his teammate, but in this case, you, you had to fight him. And that's a next level type guy right there. Oh my God. Yeah, he is. He def if, if, if Karks was a better skater, like he's just a, like a moose of a man. Like yeah. he is just like, you know, gigantic and he's thick and he's just like, uh, I don't even know how to compare him about because I don't even know who to compare him to because right. he's his own like yeah. human. Like it is not even like if you're going to think the next evolution of human beings, I'm like Karkner's like that guy. Yeah. And if Karks could skate, if he had a better set of wheels on him, he would have played 400 games in the NHL mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, his toughness aside, yeah. like, it didn't make a difference. He was just, he was just that tough. And like off the ice, he was just like, like a giant teddy bear. And, yeah. uh, he had, you know, he had a kid and he had one kid at the time when we were playing together. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing him with his kids and I was, I was single at the time. Like I didn't, didn't even have a girlfriend and I was just like, man, I'm like, it's so different. Like yeah. you're just this like lovable, huge teddy bear. And then on the ice, you're just like this person who can break anybody's face. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. He, he's playing with his kids. He's probably scooping them up in one hand, <laughs> you know, and like King Kong, yeah. you King know, barbarian and then, style. yeah. And then that same hand is just going to crush someone the next night, you know? Yeah. Like it was, uh, it was, it was, it was, if you ever get a chance, obviously if you've, he played with uh he played in Long Island, so you yep. probably talked to him. Yep. But if anybody who's listening, if you ever come I ever get to uh, across his path, like he's just he's an awesome dude. He's an awesome guy. Yeah, tremendous, tremendous human being. Really good. Yeah. He's 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 basically the kind of guy you root for. He's an easy guy to, that you want to be successful. You know? Oh yeah. Like yeah. I remember in Ottawa the next year where we were playing against each other in an exhibition game and it was like the last cut. Like it was like uh, I think that was the last uh, exhibition game before the regular season. And I was still up and he was still up and we were talking to warm up and I'm like, I'm like, buddy, are you going to stay here? Mm. And he's like, he's like, honestly, I don't know. I was like, I, I think so. And I'm like, man, like I was so happy for him. Yeah. And I was just like, man, that's awesome. Like, mm. good for you. Best of luck to you. And then obviously he stayed and then he went out to long Island and, yep. uh, you know, he finished off his career and stuff. But like, I was just like, 
is like one of those things you're just like, man, good for you. That's awesome. Like if anybody deserved it more, like, I don't, sorry, no one deserved it more than, more than he did. Yeah. No, it's great. His career is great. So uh, he's scheduled to appear uh, on the show soon. So uh, I will definitely send your best. Oh, thanks. (laughs) So you did end up playing five games that season with the Islanders. Uh, So there's a few things I want to ask you about. Again, just so you know that I'm not a one-trick pony, uh, (laughs) while you didn't score a goal this year, you did get an assist, and I'm sure it was a slick pass to uh, Miro (laughs) Chatan against Tampa. Am I right with that? Yeah, that was – I I chipped the puck off the glass mm-hmm. in our own zone, and then Miro beat two guys and scored. <laughs> I, I'm sure you're being very modest. I'm sure it was no, a I'm laser not. pass. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. I remember I uh, the I was skating backwards with mm-hmm. the puck, mm-hmm. uh, just crossed my, our own blue line, and I wanted to go D to D, and I couldn't because it was like we were, you know, the play kind of progressed, and I was the only one back, mm-hmm. and I did this little like button hook thing to my backhand and i chipped the puck off the glass as high and hard as i could yeah and miro picked it up and he beat the d-man wide and scored <laughs> easiest point so, he ever scored yeah i was like good for you and uh i got the assist and that was uh that was it it was like there's no i didn't thread the needle i didn't do anything i i put the puck <laughs> off the glass <laughs> so Tell me, tell me this because I, I find this interesting. So you're 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 still a young kid. You're still trying to make an impression, and playing physical is a part of your game. But you played five games, no fights. But what I noticed when I looked at the game sheets, you played a ton of minutes in these games. So was anything ever spoken to you about just try to play your game or whatever? Because it wasn't like you were up there playing three, four minutes a game. You played a lot in those games. So I guess I'm wondering what was, what was um, not your agenda, but was anything discussed with you to just try to play? And if it happens, it happens. Or how was that? You know what? I was kind of, I was just, you know, it's just like maturing and evolving Mm -hmm. into a player. Mm -hmm. Now, when I got called up, versus the, the way I played when I got called up versus how I played in the American League were kind of like, you know, apples and oranges. Like, they were two different mentalities. Right. Um, I was always getting called up for, like, one game mm-hmm. and one day. Or, like, I'd be up there for a week and play one game. Mm-hmm. And I never really got into, like, uh, the confidence of doing what I did in the American League versus what I was doing in the NHL. Gotcha. And when I was in the NHL, or when I was in the American League, you know, playing hard, battling, getting in guys' faces, what that's a, like you need a lot of confidence and you mm-hmm. need to have like a certain edge and a little bit of cockiness to you because you can't like you don't like you can't. You can't you can't be that nice guy and still battle in the corner. Like they just don't go together. Right. Uh, so when I was up in the NHL, uh, I just kept things very simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, maybe had like one hit a game. Like I wasn't like super crazy. Mm-hmm. I just made sure I didn't get beat and I made sure I made a good outlet pass and that was it. Like I never got that edgy kind of confidence mm-hmm. because I never, I didn't feel like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, uh, I didn't have like a time to transition and become that player because I was only getting called up for like 12 hours Mm -hmm. or 24 hours. And then, you know, I get one game here and then one game back. And there was one week where I played six games in seven days. 
back and forth like all the time. Yeah. And you, when you're playing like that mm-hmm. and you're just, you're just, uh, it's like a long distance marathon mm-hmm. and you know, this isn't like, you know, I'm training and doing sprints and, you know, climbing Hills, mm-hmm. uh, as hard as I can for 30 seconds. This was like, I need 25 minutes of just like continual, don't fuck up, make a good pass, you know, don't, don't turn a puck over. Mm. And that's just kind of like how I played because there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of mental games. There's a lot of that. And, uh, you have to progress into that. And I just never, and I never got like, I never really had a long enough stint where I could progress and have that little, get that edge or get that cockiness. And that's why I asked you the question, because it, yeah. the way you explain it, it makes perfect sense. You know, for someone like me on the outside, I might be going, well, he played five games and nothing happened. But yeah. the way you explain it, it makes absolute perfect sense. Oh, yeah. It's not. Yeah, it's not. Uh, I'm not like uh, sugarcoating anything. So yeah. No, <laughs> definitely know, my not. Over, so it's okay. yeah. <laughs> now, you did manage to play two games against the Rangers and that, that not including the exhibition game where you fought Stradwick. So even though you're only there a short time. Could you feel the difference between Islander Ranger games and other games that you played with the Islanders? Yeah, definitely. It was, uh, you'd feel it through the, through the other guys mm-hmm. and you'd feel it through the fans and you'd feel it through the media. Um, I wasn't really a part of that, you know, rivalry or that whole kind of, uh, you know, charade, but you've definitely felt it. And those games were, I think I, I, I played like what, eight games and I played like six of them against the Rangers. Yeah. Like it was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And I remember near the end, we, I think it was my last game of the year and we were playing in uh, Madison square garden. And, um, I tried to fight Sean Avery cause I was, I had, a, I was, I was up for a week and I didn't play and I finally got a chance to go play. Because, I mean, I made, like, this crazy road trip where mm-hmm. I went to, like, Tampa, San Jose, Florida. And then we came back up to Long Island. And, like, I didn't touch the ice once. Right. <laughs> so like, but I had confidence because I was there. Right. And you're just, you're in the locker room. You're with those guys. And, uh, you know, I took a cheap shot at Avery trying to get a fight or whatever. And it was a penalty. Like, I should have got a penalty. Mm-hmm. And then the ref came up to me and he's like, he's like, you can do whatever you want to that guy. I'm not going to call a penalty on you. <laughs> And I'm like, what? Really? It's like this. This happens. I'm like, this is for real. And then uh, we, he never didn't want to fight me. I yeah. chirped him hard too. I said something like, he was doing uh, an internship at Vogue. Yes, you know, you remember that? Oh yeah. And you know, I said some pretty bad things about mm-hmm. like Vogue and all that kind of stuff. And I was all over him. Yeah. And I was just like, I said some stuff that was like, okay, you need to fight me now. Like, let's right. let's get this. And he he didn't want to. And I was just like, oh fuck. Okay. <laughs> And I got sent down the next day. <laughs> and did you run into Brashear at all? Uh, yeah, and I didn't run in. I didn't run into Brashear until Boston. Okay. Uh, that was an exhibition game, and then I was. I thought I was going to fight Brashear, but then I ended up fighting Voros. Mm-hmm. Right. I hope I said that. I hope I said his name yep. right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, Brashear probably wanted no part of you. I would think, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> Talk about a scary, like, individual. Yeah. And, yeah, if I would have, like, the situation I was in, yeah, uh, I would fight, fight anybody. Yeah. Like, it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm definitely scared of these people. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to say anything else. But 
there are some scary individuals out there. Oh yeah. And uh Brashear is one of them mm-hmm. and Sai is one of them. Yep. And these are guys that like if I was back where I if I was you know, if I turned the clock back and I was still playing, um, I would you know, I'd I'd fight them because I had to. Right. Like I wasn't if I didn't you know, if I didn't step up and do something like that, then I would have probably played maybe zero games in the right. NHL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, season ends and you're a free agent. Was there any interest to, on the Islanders' part or on your part to re-sign, or was it time to move on and that's when you signed with Phoenix? Um, I My exit interview, like I said, I'm like, I wanted to come back. Mm-hmm. And then um, we just never had discussions. Like they never, never – they ever talked to my agent when he made a couple phone calls and, uh, and then July 1st hit and obviously I signed July 1st. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it was, uh, cause then I kind of like established myself as, as a solid, like American hockey league player. Yeah. And yeah, like I signed with Phoenix, like it was like, I was, I think the thing went on at 12 o'clock mm-hmm. noon, uh, July 1st. And I signed at one o'clock on July 1st. That had to be so, a bit of a relief, right? Just getting that. Oh yeah, just yeah. to get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. I was kind of disappointed a little bit because my agent said if I go to free agency, I'll get more in the American League because I, I was going to sign a minimum wage, uh, minimum, minimum wage, uh, <laughs> league minimum. Yeah, Sorry, I should rephrase that. League minimum in the NHL, and then whatever my salary in the American Hockey League was going to be was going to be a lot greater if I went to free agency versus if I stayed with uh, Bridgeport. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I was like, I didn't give a shit. Like, what the fuck do I care? Like, I want to play. I like it here. Yeah. They like me. I feel confident here. I don't want to move. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they, they, uh, they moved on, right. which is part of the game. And that's yeah. just the way, you know, that's just the way things are. Like, I, uh, if it was up to me, I'd still be playing hockey now. But yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it doesn't work <laughs> that way. Now, you weren't with the organization long. You, uh, I'm assuming you went to training camp with Phoenix. You ended up playing seven games in San Antonio. Um, you played for a guy, Ray Edwards, who a lot of people may not know uh, that only follow the NHL, but Ray Edwards was a pretty tough guy back in his playing days. What was it like playing for Ray? I was only with Ray. He was great. Awesome. Yep. Like He was like a uh, player's coach, a yep. um, lot of communication. And my training camp, I was, I was one of the last cuts mm-hmm. in training camp. And I got, then I obviously when the season started, I was only with San Antonio for one day before the season started. So okay. I didn't even have, like, I was still living in a hotel. Right, like, right. I had nothing going on. Mm-hmm. And we played the first seven games of the season, like, pretty quickly. Like, I think it was only, like, 20, 20 or 23 days into the season. Gotcha. And we've already played seven games. Mm-hmm. And um, they, Ray communicated with me here and there, but... At the most part, I uh, they like I think they knew they're they're going to trade me, or I don't really understand. I don't really know what was happening, but uh, I you know Ray was obviously I think Ray liked me, yeah. But I didn't really have that much time to kind of you know establish myself on the team or like get into like a, a routine or get into a sort of like repertoire with like the other players and stuff like that because. I was like the last guy coming in. Gotcha. And then when they started the season, they didn't think that I was going to be there. Right. So I actually was sitting third defense pairing. Oh, wow. 
Okay. And I, I was never a power play guy, mm-hmm. but I didn't play any power play. I didn't play any penalty kill and I didn't play against team stop lines because they had like other guys that they were spotting in. And I didn't, you know, I, I cared, obviously I want to play more. Who doesn't want to fucking play right. more? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I played 60 minutes if they would let me, mm-hmm. but, and, uh, then I got traded to, um, to Ottawa Yeah. to, uh, yeah. So it was just like, it was, uh, it was a weird kind of transition for me because I didn't even really get to know guys on the team. Um, I remember like, uh, I played with Keith mm-hmm. and he had to remind me that he was on the team in San Antonio. <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. Fuck. Sorry, man. Like I was just, you know, it wasn't there very long. Right. Now, uh, are you there in San Antonio long enough to experience all the, uh, nut- nuttiness of a Francis Lassard? <laughs> Frankie. Frankie. So I speak a little bit of French, mm-hmm. not a lot. Right. I can get by. So Frankie took a liking to me because I tried to speak French to him. Right. And Frankie was like, he, his English Frankie versus French Frankie are two totally different people. Mm -hmm. And he was fucking hilarious in French. And I didn't understand all the jokes, Mm -hmm. but, uh, he, did you ever hear the story of how he tapes his skates or ties his skates? I I just, I've seen pictures. I mean, it's unbelievable. (laughs) The amount of tape on, I, I think, I think whenever anyone talks about Lassard, the two things they talk about is what a psycho he is. And then yeah. within two seconds, it's, have you ever seen his skates? So, yeah. you know. Oh, it's awesome. It's because he hated new skates. Okay. So he wore the same pair of skates for like eight years. Okay. And they're like those old school, like Bauer mm-hmm. 300s. Like they are... Like I had these when I was in Pee Wee. Like how old these things are. Yeah. And because they were so old, they were just like so flimsy. Right. And he'd have to put like a roll of tape. He'd have one roll of tape, half on one ankle, half on the other, and that's how he skated. It's it's pretty amazing. I think if if people don't know what we're talking about, definitely just Google it and just look at his skates <laughs> because it's it's pretty amazing to see it where they just it looks like a a, a boot on top of a boot like just by his ankles it's crazy i know Mm. it's crazy it's just but it's just (laughs) that's just frankie being frankie yeah now uh what was your reaction when you got traded to ottawa because like you say you signed right away with phoenix i'm sure you're thinking you know phoenix it's a nice spot potentially if you end up in phoenix there are a lot worse places to play and you probably gung-ho coyotes next thing you know you're traded to ottawa what was your reaction um I was relieved and disappointed at the same time. I was relieved because I knew I was going to go into a place where I could play. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew uh, they had Brendan Bell, Karkner, uh, and uh, Lee were these, like, solid three defensemen. So I knew right away that I was going to be in the top four, mm-hmm. and which was nice because then, you know, you get to – when you when you play more, you feel as if you're part of a team – you know, you contribute more to the team and you just, you know, it's just general positive energy. Like I, it's like I spoke about before mm-hmm. and I was excited for that. I was disappointed because if I was going to play in the NHL that year, Phoenix was the place for me to play. Yeah. And because I was looking at the depth chart and Phoenix was like, okay, if like, if I'm going to get called up, like this is the year. And I never really had, 
and it's like kind of like unfinished business where, uh, you know, I started something in Phoenix and I was kind of, you know, I did, a, I did well at training camp and I was one of the last cuts. And then I got sent down to the American league and I was like determined to like, okay, I'm going to make this, I'm going to be the first call up this year. And I was going to progress myself from, you know, the position that they put me in at sixth defense to, I was going to move up to like number two, three, four. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get called up and, I didn't get a chance to finish that goal, which yeah. kind of bummed me out because I knew that going to Ottawa with their depth chart yeah. and the way they were situated in the, in the, in the NHL, I was like, no way I'm getting called up here. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I was, I loved, it was great. And we had a great time. And, uh, obviously, you know, you meet guys like Karkner and, you know, Brendan Bell and those guys and like, and, uh, you know, Elliot was awesome. And, and it was a good uh, it was a good fit for me in the American League, but I knew that I wasn't going to get called up there. Now in uh, in Binghamton again, you had a good season, sixty eight games, sixteen points, one hundred thirty five penalty minutes. So I got to say, fourth on the team of penalty minutes, and the three guys you were behind. Of course, we've spoken about Yabo already, and Matt Karkner and uh, Danny Bois. Now you go into a team where you got again now the numbers don't necessarily match what you had that second year in Bridgeport, but you don't necessarily need the quantity when you have those three guys and yourself there. So I guess twofold talk about playing with those guys, but also Binghamton and Syracuse, you guys had some pretty nasty games. What what were those games like playing with the guys that you had going up against Syracuse? I didn't realize how bad it was. Like, we always played against Syracuse, and Syracuse is always a tough uh, place to play because the barn itself, uh, the fans are right on top of you, the ice is small, and they always had tough teams. Mm. So, you know, like, Morasti was there for a long time. Uh, It was just a very, very tough place to play. Mm. But I didn't realize the, like, so because of the American League, there's so much turnaround. Like, every year you can have 20 new guys on a team. So that's why, you know, American rivalries don't, like, they exist, but they don't really exist. Mm -hmm. And the rivalry that was with Bridgeport, or uh, Binghamton and Syracuse was pretty heated because um, they all had the same, like, core guys for, like, three years. Yeah. So when you take those core guys, and then you take the schedule that the American League offers, which is, like, you're playing teams fucking eight, nine, ten ten times a year, Mm -hmm. it gets pretty heated. And uh, they were actually, I remember the first time I got into it, I was like, oh, this is fucking, this is crazy. Yeah. Like, this is like, this is old school, like hard-nosed hockey. And it was, uh, some of them were fun, some of them weren't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Depends what end you're on. Yeah. You had, uh, you had 13 fights that year and five of them were against Syracuse. Yeah. <laughs> so... And you, and yeah, you're... like no, that's just no, that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, um, I'm I'm an emotional fighter, and they were always tough teams to play against, and uh, you know they had guys like like Marasti or uh, Harvey. Mm. Oh, douche! He was such a douche that guy. You fought him uh, twice that year. I know, like mm. he, I broke my thumb on his fucking cheek. Oh. <laughs> as my, uh, yeah, that was like my first game mm. with. With uh, with uh, with uh, Binghamton, mm-hmm. and I ended up like I dislocated my my left hand, my left thumb uh, with like a weird uppercut punch, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember I was like pissed off, and then I had to play the rest of the year with a fucking dislocated thumb. <laughs> Is that why you went back at him the second time? 
Yeah, with my right. <laughs> yeah, you fought him twice. You fought Craig McDonald, uh, Mike Blunden, and uh, Tom Sestito. So that was your. Yeah. Uh, those were your Syracuse opponents that year. And those are those are like like I played with Tommy later in mm-hmm. uh, England. Uh, you know, those are tough guys, and they yeah. were all guys who played hard. And yeah. like I was a guy who played hard, so like we were bound to cross paths like every year. And you know, they were good players. Like mm-hmm. they played, you know, uh, third, second, first line minutes. So we were always playing against each other. And you know, I think all of us, aside from Tommy, Tommy's like a like a heavyweight. Yeah. And you know, we are all emotional fighters, mm-hmm. so that's why we all fought so much. Now the following season, you end up signing with the Bruins. So, um, how how did that come about? And were other teams interested? Yeah, that was like the same thing. Where, you know, I had a good year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played decent. You know, I wasn't. I didn't get called up, obviously. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, I think I've kind of established myself now as like this solid, rel- dependable uh, uh, defenseman. And July first came, and same thing. I signed you know, one o'clock, mm-hmm. like an hour later with, uh, with Boston. Right. And I was excited and I was jacked up to play. And I finished, I started that training camp. Um, I was sitting ninth on the depth chart mm-hmm. when I started training camp and I finished seventh, oh, which wow, okay. was pretty good considering yeah. like, you know, I wasn't drafted by them. I wasn't part of their, uh, their system. Right. And it was between, me and Johnny Boychuk, oh, who's gonna get, who was gonna get, who was gonna, uh, who was gonna stay, yeah, that year. Mm-hmm. But Johnny just came off winning uh, American Hockey League Defenseman of the Year, yeah, and Boston signed him to a one-way deal. So there and you go. I sound, and I, I was on a two-way deal, right? And so they kept Johnny. And well, I'm not saying that like you know, like, <laughs> oh, I, I should have stayed over Johnny. Like Johnny is right, he's right. a good hockey player, and he obviously with Long Island, and yeah. uh, I love Johnny. And yeah. uh, we were actually pretty tight mm-hmm. during that time that we were together. And then um, they kept him, and then I went down to the American League, and I only played a few games because uh, ended up breaking uh, breaking my Achilles tendon. Uh, before you went down to Providence, and, and you alluded to it er- earlier, you had a fight with Aaron Voros, and again, it, you talk about the role, and uh, he had laid a pretty good hit on Dennis Weidman, and you just came right in and, and uh, stood in for uh, Weidman and did the job, and um, you also had a rematch that preseason with Blunden, who was with uh, the Columbus organization, so yeah. was that a residual effect from the year before? Um, No, wow. Yeah. No, not really. Yeah. Like I never really, I alluded to it earlier in the podcast where I never, like I knew who we were playing the next day. Like right. I wasn't like, I wasn't, I'm not an idiot. Like I'm a fucking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm a dumb kid, but I am, you know, I'm not that dumb. Mm. Uh, I you never may be really dumb, but over. you're not stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some days. Some yeah. Days get me on. Um, but I never like lost any sleep on mm-hmm. who I was playing the next day. Right. Or like I knew I would, I didn't circle the calendar being like, Oh, I'm, you know, January 18th, I get to play this guy again. Like yeah. I wasn't, I was never one of those guys. Um, but Voros and Blunden were just those like hard nosed guys who mm-hmm. played. And yeah. you knew that uh, you put us two together, you know, it's a bound, we're bound to cross paths at some point. Yeah. And it's the, and it's the um, exhibition games. So essentially all three of us are looking to make a name and looking to stay. So it's like, you know, fighting is part of it. Yeah. And that's why we fought. And they were good fights too. 
Yeah. Uh, and down in Providence, you played for Rob Murray, a guy that I was a huge fan of when he played. I always liked those kind of guys who are smaller in stature but play 10 feet tall. Uh, how was he as a coach? He is a better person than he is a coach. Now, okay. I don't – this is why This is fucking 12 years. Yeah. 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a great guy. Mm-hmm. And – but he his coaching, he didn't really like he he coached the way that he played. I got you. Like we would have meetings, and we'd watch videos, or we'd do structures, or like we you know you you finish off the every every game, you finish warm up, and then you come into the locker room and you talk about who's going to start and how you're going to play the game. He would point out the players who would be like, okay, this guy right here, he plays hard, he won't fight. This guy over here, he plays hard, but he will fight. This okay. guy over here, he's a pussy. He doesn't do anything. It's just right. like, and you're like, oh my god, that's that's you know, it's good. Yeah. But you're like, what's their breakout? Like, right, what's right. the structure and stuff like that? So he he coached the way he played. Right. And um, I was obviously I only played how many games did I played that year? Twenty seven. Twenty seven. Yeah. And I actually played uh, twenty of those games. With an, with a, a, a ruptured Achilles tendon. No shit. Because I what happened was now if the, the Achilles tendon is that you think it's a bone, but it's a tendon right behind your ankle, mm-hmm. and it's the um, it connects your your uh, your leg muscles and your bones to your feet. Mm-hmm. That's essentially the, the you know the bridge that it has. And do you remember when Matt Cook stepped on uh, Carlson? Yes. And that's what happened. He mm-hmm. ruptured his Achilles tendon. But when he ruptured his Achilles tendon, he cut it. So your Achilles tendon runs north-south. Mm-hmm. And he cut his east-west, Oof. which was like a clean cut. Yeah. There's a whole skate. Mine split uh, north-south. So when I got the MRI done, uh, they were like, they, they couldn't see it. Because it was on the ins, not the outside of my ankle, but the right. inside. Oh my god! And I was like, it didn't hurt. It wasn't like it sounds no, painful. No, uh, there's no, um, there's no pain receptacles there. Okay. So when I was like telling the coach and my you know, training staff, I was like, uh, guys, like I'm telling you, like there's something fucked up with my ankle. Like I can't feel my foot. Like I don't even think that there is a foot. There was times like I tripped over myself a few times because I was like, I can't feel my foot. Like it doesn't even feel like it's there. Wow. Uh, I could wiggle my toes and like, if you poked a pen to it, like I could feel it, but I just like, I knew something was wrong. And then I just kept playing. And finally the tear got long enough where the, I took another MRI and they could see it. Okay. So I was like, Oh fuck, this is great. So then I had to get surgery and I was out for the, the whole, I was out for the whole year. Now you're only on a one year deal. Uh, with the yeah. Bruins, so now you're in a completely different position than you were the, the previous summers. And how was that for you psychologically? It was it was tough. It was real tough. Um, I didn't feel good. Like I wasn't like I was the. I had to go through 21 weeks of rehab. Oh my god! And like it was like it was it was because the rehab you're not you're not strengthening a muscle. You're trying to build. Uh, scar tissue and tendons in your ankle mm-hmm. so it's a two different it's a different type of rehab than say separating your shoulder and you know you're strengthening up your uh, your labrum and the shoulder the, the shoulder muscles that surround it there's no ankle muscles 
So it's not like you can, it's a, you have to do these like certain like ultrasound uh, therapy to kind of like break up that cartilage and then your body will absorb it and then it'll, it'll um, uh, restructure itself. That's, that's what I was going through. Mm -hmm. And that was all summer and I didn't feel comfortable training. Right. I didn't feel comfortable skating. I didn't feel comfortable running. I didn't feel comfortable riding the bike. I didn't feel comfortable doing anything. And I had to, I had a brace that I had made and I had to like retrain my body to like to walk again mm -hmm. because, crazy. because my ankle now it doesn't even like, it doesn't move that much. Like my range of mobility on my ankle is, is only like two degrees. Normally you should have like a, you should have anywhere from 15 to 20 degrees yeah. on your ankle. And I'm only two on my, on my left. So I had to like retrain everything to train. So when I, I signed a PTO with uh, Wilkesbury mm -hmm. back in Wilkesbury, um, like I wasn't like not even close to being ready to play. Right. Right. Uh, just because I didn't, like I wasn't even on the ice. Like I didn't. I think I skated like 10 times before I went to American Hockey League training camp. That is just unbelievable. That is incredible. I'm glad you well, got the PTO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, I was 26 when that happened and I had a solid seven years. Mm. Like I, you know, I had a solid seven years playing the American League and then getting up and down from the NHL. So, you know, injuries aside, you know, maybe I would have signed somewhere else mm -hmm. being under 30, but, you know, people get injured all the time. So you mentioned how you never really felt comfortable coming back from the uh, the injury, which what a horrific injury that sounds like. Um, but you did get uh, you did get a, at least one preseason game in with uh, Wilkes-Barre that I know of because I know that you had two fights in that game. Uh, you picked on a little guy, Joel Recklage, and uh, a person. <laughs> I don't know much about Trevor Brewis, but I know you had uh, had two fights against those guys. Um, w now, when you're coming back from an injury like that, do you almost want to get into one to see how it holds up, or, or how, what was your mindset against those guys? Um, it wasn't so much the people that I was fighting. I was just kind of like looking at the, looking at uh, the people that I was playing against mm -hmm. and uh, people that are on my team. So all of a sudden I went from, you know, being a top pairing defenseman in an organization that, you know, relatively uh, liked me uh, back to Wilkesbury where I was on a PTO mm -hmm. and you're just literally fighting for like every inch and you're literally, you know, you know, however you want to describe it, I was just sitting here being like, okay, I'm back to square one. Like I got to go back and do what I got to do. And, and I was in a situation where you couldn't really make a mistake. And when you're at the bottom of the totem pole uh, of the, you know, the, the, the depth chart, uh, usually you're there as a rookie. And if you were to make, you know, they call them rookie mistakes as in, uh, you know, maybe you're late for a practice or uh, you, you you have a bad practice or you turn the puck over in the game or like you get burnt one on one or something like that. Like those are kind of like rookie mistakes. And I was in a situation where I couldn't make rookie mistakes and I had to fight my way through. So that was kind of my mentality. And then 
uh, you know, if the opportunity presented itself for like I would fight, I was just like, I wasn't turning anybody down. And you ended up uh, playing one regular season game with Wilkes-Barre and, and how did it feel? I mean, how did, I mean, obviously hockey, it seems like more than any other sport, it's a complete body exercise, let's say like, you know, like, people don't necessarily think of, of the abs, but I remember Gina Wojcik had serious ab injury and I know it hindered him that whole season. So you think everything involved, just the, the skating movement. I mean, it's a complete body exercise and now you're coming back from a serious injury. So in that one game, the regular season game, did you just feel like it wasn't right or, or what was that like? Well, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't even close to being body ready mm-hmm. to play. Um, I shouldn't, maybe I was physically uh, able to like get on the ice and skate and do what I needed to do, but game ready. And then, you know, being able to skate and shoot and take a hit are two totally, they're two totally different things. Uh, I end up before in during training camp, I was say at like 50%, but I'm still skating. And because I was, short i had a shortened summer when it came to because you know 90 percent of my summer was just rehab mm-hmm. and then i only had a short period of time to really you know to get the rest of my body into game shape and then i end up pulling my hamstring oh, because you know you're just kind of overcompensating one for the other and then when you start getting into game ready stuff it's just it's a snowball effect of like a one leads to the other and i didn't really have an opportunity i couldn't say like no guys I'm not ready. I can't play. I was in a situation where I was like, okay, let's cross our fingers. Let's pray to God. Let this all goes well. And, you know, unfortunately it didn't go well. And I could never go into like Pat Steedle was our, uh, Chris, uh, our, our, um, uh, there are, the hell's it called? The trainer trainer, the team, the physiotherapy guy. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he's like, you okay? And I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm not, but I'm like, don't tell them I need to play. Right. You're in a situation where you, I, I couldn't afford to make a mistake mm-hmm. and I just, I wasn't ready. And they knew that they saw that they knew what player I was. And that's why they, they gave me the opportunity to sign the PTO and get on the team. And, you know, I, I ended up signing obviously the PTO during the middle of training camp. Um, but they knew that. And then obviously I didn't deliver the expectations of what they wanted. And I didn't deliver the expectations that I wanted, but I just, I wasn't, you know, you took an injury like that and it just wasn't, uh, I just wasn't ready. So who initiates the release? I'm assuming they came to you or was it something that you went to them and said, I'm not ready? No, they released me. They, I was fortunate because I had a really good training camp and I was fortunate to sign uh, 75,000 PTO that's nice. prorated over the course that uh, that you're there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, this is great. And then um, there was a German league that folded that like a month before. And on the team, there, I think it was Mormina, Josh Mormina. And he was in Wilkes-Barre the year before. And I think he like led the league in like plus minus or something like that. He's a really good, really good solid D man. Mm-hmm. He they brought him in, and they offered him a contract which was like really low, and they didn't think that he was going to take it. So now he took it. So now they got me who's mm-hmm. sitting at seventy five thousand, and they got another guy who's coming in for a, like 
almost less than half. Yeah. And he took it. So I was like, oh, shit. So he's like, well, they're like, listen, it's just an X's and O's things. Like, we can't, you know, and plus you're not really feeling that well right now and you're, you know, injury and stuff like that and come back. And I'm like, hey, no worries. Like, I get yeah. it. Like, it's, it's, it's a game. I, like, I, I totally understand. And plus, Morbino was a good player. Mm-hmm. And he's ready to go. And he's already got, like, 10 games under his belt from playing overseas. So he's coming back. And then uh, I got released. I was, like, that day. And I was gone. I was on a plane back home. And I was, like, this is probably the worst day of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Yeah. And you're just, like, and I'm getting married that next, like, I'm getting married the next summer mm-hmm. coming in. Yeah. And it was just, like, like now what, like. It's not like, well, how am I going to pay for the wedding? It's not like, what am I going to do? Like, what's going to happen now for the rest of my life? Yeah, that was a tough one. So do you, uh, so what happens at that point? Now, I'm assuming you still have an agent. Does your agent start making phone calls to uh, uh, AHL teams or East Coast League teams? Like, what's the process before you end up in Europe? So uh, my agent, I, we were obviously, we were talking the whole time with mm-hmm. my agent and I, and uh, he wanted me to wait it out and sit and wait for the American side because there's always injuries. There's always someone he's like, you can always come and play on this side. But I was like, listen, like I've, I've made some good money. I have money in the bank. I can sit and wait on this, but I'm like, I can't, you know, you're taking a guess. Like I'm taking, I'm taking like a huge chance by, by not playing somewhere. And he's like, well, once you go over to Europe, he's like, it's pretty hard to come back. And, and the European season has already started. So it's like, if you go, then chances are you're not going to get into you're not going to get into like a Swiss league. You're not going to get into the top tier German league. You're not going to get into a KHL team. So those are the teams. Those are the leagues over in Europe where if you play in those leagues, then chances are you can come back into the American side because they're very very equivalent. They're very you know the, the caliber of hockey in those in those countries is, is pretty high. Yep. So it's like okay, so now what? He's like, well, if you go overseas, you're going to stay overseas for for the rest of your career. And I was like, fuck it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, like, I have some online schooling, but I don't have enough to really, and I got no edu- no um, no work experience because I've been playing hockey for the last, you know, eight years or whatever it is. So it's right. like, let's go. Let's go overseas. So how'd you end up in Norway? Norway was just, there was like a little bidding war between three teams, three countries, and they just offered the most money. So I was like, I will go to you. <laughs> and and the team you played for is Sparta Sarpsborg, is that correct? Yeah, Sarpsborg. Now, Drew, we've been friends for not a very long time, but I have to ask this personal question. At any yeah. point while you were over there, we've all seen 300. Did you yeah. once say, did you yell out, this is Sparta? I just have to know. <laughs> I never personally did it. Okay. But it was part of, like, our intro into, um, like, after warm-ups and everybody's coming back on for the national anthem. Okay. It was part of the warm-ups and stuff like that, so it was pretty cool. Okay, I figured that. Uh, they and the had whole, to like, their, their symbol was, like, a warrior and, yeah, like, a Spartan warrior and stuff. It was pretty cool. So how was the style of play there compared to North America? It's it's way different. Like, first of all, you have Olympic size ice surface, so you have an extra five feet on each side. Uh, you know, north, south, east, west, and it's all speed. Like, there's no there's no hitting, there's no real 
you know, fighting or like getting in your face kind of thing. It's all about speed. It's all about angles and it's all about making plays. So it was a definitely, it was an adjustment for like a first, I luckily I got, so the way they do things in Europe is a lot different than we do things in, in North America. And they have these like 20 day segments where you'll play seven to 10 games within 20 days. And then you don't play a game for 20 days. And there's always like these little kind of things in between, which was amazing. But I was able to jump in to seven games right away within a, within a uh, like an 18 day period. So all that stuff, and there's no hitting. Mm-hmm. There's, there is hitting. I shouldn't say there's no hitting, but it's very minimal. And all of a sudden, I went from being not ready to being completely ready because I just jumped in with both feet, and all of a sudden my lungs are there. My feet are coming back to me. My, my, my hand strength and my sticks are coming back. Like, it's just, you know, I just was forced myself to play seven games in 15, 20 days. And I just, you know, hit the ground running after that because it was, uh, it was uh, turned out to be the best thing for me in my rehab. And because, you, yeah, I was going to say, because you played so many games in such a short period of time, did that, uh, it, it probably felt good to get your, you didn't, your knee never really had time to get stiff, it seems like. It was just constantly moving when you first got there. Yeah, it was it was my my ankle. Your ankle, I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's, um, but yeah, it's it the same sort of thing. And then I wasn't uh, I didn't go to school during that time, so any time off and stuff that we had, we were sightseeing because mm-hmm. you have time off to do stuff. So you're constantly walking around, you're constantly at the rink, and you're constantly doing off ice stuff, which was the best thing that I could do for like playing games and rehab. And it was uh, and then the culture and the people and stuff like that. I just really. I really enjoyed it. It was a good time. Now, obviously, it's not a, a league, like you say. It's not really a ton of contact. There's really no fighting. So um, is there is there one maybe crazy funny story from your time in Norway that uh, that you could relate to us? Uh, you know, it's just it was a culture shock for mm-hmm. me. And, like, you go to the grocery store, you go to the pharmacy and stuff like that, you look for, like, toothpaste and deodorant, and it's like they don't have it. It's like, or if they do, it's like $30. Oh, wow. It's just, you know, supply and demand. Every country that I played in after that had this like oddball supply and demand kind of thing where, you know, just deodorant isn't like people, they don't smell. I'm not going to say I was going to ask you that. (laughs) The hygiene is like very high quality, but they, it's just deodorant isn't like, it's not part of their, it's not part of their repertoire. And it was like kind of like a culture shock for me. And, and I, I had like, uh, my hamstring was kind of bothering me him a little bit. So it was like, you know, I got some treatment on it and I was still able to play, but they would cut up a potato and an onion and then wrap it in a sheep's cloth and wrap it on the back of my hand or where the infected air, my hamstring. And then I'd have to like do lunges or something like that and stretch it out. And he's like, yeah, you got to sleep with this on. And I'm like, what? I'm like, is this a joke for the new guy? Like, what do you like, what am I supposed to do with this? And everybody's, you know, I like, I went to the other Canadian guy on the team and I was like, Hey, how do I play this? And I'm like, it's like, I play it out as if like, this is a joke. And he's like, no man, it's not a joke. I'm like, dude, this is a fucking potato. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, I don't understand, but it works. I'm like, okay. Did so it work? I'm sleeping at night with did a with a whole potato, sliced up potato uh, against my hamstring. Did it work? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. 
Uh, I have absolutely, maybe, mm. you know, different Western medicine versus, you know, Eastern medicine yeah. is different. Well, I guess it's better than if it was garlic, let's say, and you had to walk around with garlic. <laughs> yeah, at least it didn't smell. Yeah. Uh, and you guys won the championship that year, is that correct? Yeah, it was awesome. And uh, instead of a trophy, we got uh, gold helmets. Oh, yeah. like the Vegas has been wearing? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. And then uh, I still have it. It's downstairs in my like little man cave. Nice. And uh, that was awesome. And then it was it was awesome to be on a team where you just knew you're going to win. Like we just went into those playoffs thinking like no one's going to touch us. And it was just it was uh, it was fun to be around such a, a different kind of atmosphere because for, essentially for my whole career in the American League, uh, I never made the playoffs. Like, we never really, you know, did anything. I was always on those bubble teams that were fighting for a playoff spot at the end of the year. Or, you know, we knew five, six games out that we weren't going to make the playoffs. Uh, so it was fun, to, you, know, it was, you know, to be a part of that and be a big big team member of a team that wins something. It was, uh, it was huge. And then the following season, you end up in the motherland. You end up in uh, Italy. <laughs> um, yeah. How did you end up in Italy? Um, so to be a European, to be a, a Canadian skater or player in, you know, these certain European countries, they're only allowed a certain number of American and Canadian players mm-hmm. on each team. So you can't just have like a German team that's like, say, stacked with 25 Canadians or 25 Americans. You have to have a certain number of people that are German. You have to have a certain number of people that are from, you know, a different country. Like it's kind of, um, politically correct, I guess you can, you can save. So it gives the local people, uh, more of a chance to play throughout their, throughout their years. So I went to Italy. My, my dad was born in Italy and both my grandparents on my mother's side and my father's side were born in Italy. So I had the opportunity to go and play, live there for a year and then get my Italian passport. So once I get my Italian passport, I'm an EU citizen. So I don't count as a European, I don't count as a, a Canadian import. I can count, I count as a, uh, EU player. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, did you enjoy it there? I loved everything outside of hockey <laughs> in Italy, <laughs> the culture, the people, the travel, you know, uh, it's like, there's a lot of things that I was able to do. So like, you know, Rome, Venice, Pisa, uh, the Vatican, like you name it. I, uh, the Amalfi coast, like we, I, if you were to circle Italy, I can put a check mark over all the major tourist spots. It's like, we did it and we loved it and it was great. Unfortunately, I never got paid. Like they still, the whole season. Well, I only got paid half. No kidding. Technically speaking, they still owe me, but, uh, you know, we, we got a lawyer and we got everything and they, uh, they pleaded guilty to not paying and they were supposed to pay like installments every couple months after that. And I just never got anything. Oh my God. And that's a pretty standard, that's a standard thing in Italy. <laughs> really? Yeah. Now it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of European teams and stuff like that, that do that. It's not... The team, you know, the political side of it and the, you know, the the ownership side of stuff is, it's not like, it's not like it is over in uh, North America. And it's a lot, 
I don't even know how to explain it. It's some of it's corrupt. <laughs> yeah, obviously. I, I know and there's a, the... I know there's a lot of um, criminal a- activity with some of the oh, yeah. in the in the European countries, but uh, I always like to think that Italy is above that. <laughs> no, they are not. They are not. Which is crazy. Like it's so weird. And I remember the first time I went there, and I went out for a dinner with the guys, and I had to leave early because I had to go down the mountain to go pick up my wife from the airport. So I was like, "Okay, guys, I'm done with dinner. I how do I? Who do I pay?" And they're like, "You just go up there and you just go and you pay." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." And then you know the lady starts talking. She's like, "What'd you have?" I was like. Uh, okay, I had a pizza and a little bit of pasta and bread, and, and she's like, anything else? And I was like, uh, no, I don't think so. It's it's no idea. And then those guys were having a couple beers, but I didn't have. I had to go obviously drive and stuff like that. And if I had like say five or six beers, I just they're like, what do you want? And like they're and uh, they would just they just they're like, how much? I'm like, how much do I owe you? They're like, ah, uh, ten euro. 20 euro. And I'm like, right, here's 10 euro. They're like, yeah, okay, fine. And they put it in your pocket. And it's just, and that's just how, that's just how it is. Yeah. You can't really do anything about it. So the cash flow was, uh, very minimal. Hmm. How did you like playing for John Tucker? Uh, many, many years ago, he was a former Islander. Well, I guess he's still a former Islander. Many years ago, he was an Islander. Yeah. He, you know, he was good yeah. and he was a good, like players coach. Um, he recognized the team that we had. Like, so now we're all, I'm getting older now. Like I'm turning, I think I turned 29 or 30 at the time. And, you know, we're an older team. Like guys are married, guys got kids. Like, I think we had like one single guy on the team and he was a a local Italian kid. Mm -hmm. And he just recognized that the guys were older and, uh, he just had fun with it. He ended up getting fired halfway through actually. Is that right? I wonder if he got paid. Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that that happened. That sucks. But, uh, yeah. so, uh, I'm assuming that's why you had no desire to return to Italy, uh, the following year and you ended up in, uh, Sheffield. Yeah. Um, I, I would have went back to a yeah. different, I wouldn't have went back to Asiago. I mm-hmm. would have went to a different city, but I think for my wife and I, we just kind of like, you know what, we took that country and we, mm-hmm. it's like, we weren't going to go back to Pisa. We weren't going to go back to Venice or we weren't going to, you know, Florence and stuff like that. Like we, 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 we didn't have any kids at the time and we traveled so much and it was, it was amazing. Like we, we enjoyed it, but now we were like, okay, let's do a different country. Yeah. And let's just, you know, see what we can do there because our kid, like to have kids was, was on the radar, but it wasn't like, you know, weren't like, let's do it right now kind of thing. It's like, if we got pregnant, we got pregnant. Great. If we didn't, it, you know, it didn't really, it didn't matter at the time. So Sheffield, I had a bunch of opportunities. I could have, uh, it was England, Germany, uh, Swiss B league. Those are the three things. And they were all offering like relatively the same amount of money. And, uh, I was talking to Ryan Finnerty was our coach, at the time in my first year in Sheffield and I'm like I'm like Finner I'm like just I'm like I'm getting the same offer from three different people I'm like just give me something different mm-hmm. and then I'll come and uh or I'm like you know what give me a job give my wife a job because she was uh she's a school teacher an elementary school teacher here in Canada and she could teach over in England mm-hmm. so I'm like get her a job and I'll go and uh they're like fine 
perfect. He called back a week later and he's like, uh, he's like, I got her a job lined up. She has to do these, you know, email and fax back and forth to, you know, get the uh, proper paperwork in order. And then uh, he's like, what kind of schooling do you have? And I was like, I don't know. I was, you know, normal everyday high school, my diploma and a couple uh, university credits. And he's like, you want to go to university? <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. He's like, okay, so the University of Sheffield, we have, they have a partnership. And he's like, we got one slot open for a player, a student, uh, a student player. And I was like, yeah, sign me up. And they're like, okay, you got to sign this, t- you got to take this test. And if you get like over 80% on this test, then you qualify for the school. And I'm like, oh, okay. So they sent me a test. Uh, my wife and I sat down and did together. <laughs> she did most of it. Uh, so we cheated as best as, as, uh, as much as we could, we cheated. Of course. And, uh, you know, we passed the test and then I was able to go back to school. So I was playing hockey for uh, Sheffield Steeler and I was going to university of Sheffield to do my master's degree in business. And my wife was teaching school. So it, uh, it was it was a nice uh, it was it was a nice opportunity and plus everybody spoke English so yeah. <laughs> it was a lot easy for everybody. And now the the British league is uh, as far as all the European leagues, it's probably the closest thing to North American hockey anyway. I know a lot of the North American guys, a lot of the enforcers end up in uh, in England at one point or another. So uh, it was this. Were you more comfortable playing this this style of game as opposed to say in Norway or Italy? Did this kind of feel more normal to you? Yeah, it's, you know, it definitely did. Like, there's a lot more chirping involved, and there's a lot more fighting involved. But at this point in my career, I was kind of, you know, I I was more a little bit more offensive. Like, mm-hmm. I started playing the power play when I was uh, in, um, in in Italy. So then when I started playing the power play in Italy, it just transitioned to do playing the power play in Sheffield. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fighting aspect was still there, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed, which was, it was great. But... The European leagues, every every obviously every country is different, mm-hmm. but the program that the British government or you know the British uh, you know governing bodies or whatever they implemented the same system like they do over in Finland. So each kit, it's a, you know it's a probably a different podcast altogether, <laughs> but the hockey program has like grown leaps and bounds over mm-hmm. the last couple over the last couple of years prior to me getting there and actually you can see that because the british team actually qualified for the Olymp- the olympics mm-hmm. but they ended up losing in the b pool their last game but they went from not even being close to coming anywhere near the olympics to losing in the third period for one game to qualify for the olympics so uh, you know they're going to get there at some point, but uh, it's awesome. And if anybody has an opportunity to go over to England, like it's just it's a beautiful country. Yeah, the reason why I asked about the comfort level is because, as you said, so I'm looking at your numbers here. You played 51 games. You had 26 points. You had eight goals, and you put up a decent amount of penalty minutes, 121 minutes in the 51 games. So it kind of just looked like, you know, Italy and Norway, you know different kind of style but it just based on looking at your numbers it almost mm-hmm. looked like your numbers were similar to the numbers you put up when you were in North America on a team where you actually got to play yeah of course it was but don't forget now I'm 30 years old mm-hmm. at this point so if you know if I'm playing it's just like you're just that 
experienced mm-hmm. player coming in. So, like, obviously, uh, the things that I I just matured and I was a lot smarter. I was a lot, uh, you know, my hockey IQ was a lot higher than it was when I was playing in the American side. And, you know, I think if injuries didn't hold me back, I would still play today if yeah. I could. And I wish that I could have, you know, mentally grown the game, my game, faster than I did. Mm-hmm. And I, out of all the things that I've done in my life and all the things that I'm going to do, I think the only thing I regret is just my learning curve when I was younger. And I wish I would have learned how to become a pro a lot faster than what I did. I essentially didn't really learn to play the game the way it should be played until like pretty much I went over to, over to Europe. So like I had like that four or five year span and I, you know, that eight year span that I had in the American league was only because I was skilled. Mm-hmm. I could play and I worked hard, but I would have probably stayed on the American side a lot longer if I was able to like mentally grow as fast as like my physical game was growing i think that's i I think no matter what line of work you're in i think when we get to be a certain age we look back and say gee i wish i you know like you talk about like youthful exuberance and and just that uh the energy level and everything you have as a young younger person and even 10 years later you still have a lot of energy let's say but you're so much more experienced and it's not just with sports it's with anything you almost wish you could combine the two and maybe yeah. mature a little bit earlier. So I think what you're saying makes complete sense, but it's not, uh, it just doesn't pertain to hockey. It, it pertains to anything in life, I think. Oh, it's hundred <laughs> percent. It's just, you know, every, like there's always good people along the way that will show you. And I, I felt as if I listened to some of these people, but I never really understood what they were saying. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have, you know, I don't know. You can talk about, mental stability or pride or you know whatever it was but i never asked enough questions Mm -hmm. someone always said something to me and he'd be and i'd be like okay i'm gonna go do that and then i'd walk away from the conversation being like the fuck is he talking about like i have no idea (laughs) right so then you're like oh shit so when you get into certain you know like i was in junior with cameron uh he would speak in general terms mm-hmm. and I would just be like, Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I get that. And then I walk away being like, okay, do I pass the puck up the wall or <laughs> where do I go here? Right. And the same sort of thing happened every single year with, with coaching staff and stuff like that. They, they start the conversation with you and then it's up to me to keep the conversation going and learn and ask questions and go along. Mm-hmm. I just never did that. I never, they would, we'd sit down have a conversation. I would feel awkward and i didn't know how to talk to these people and i didn't know what to do so i never said anything i just kept my mouth shut put my head down worked hard and that's the only i I, yes i that was the reason why i lasted for as long as i did but i could have lasted longer if i just opened my fucking mouth and just answered a few questions so that was you know i think that's the only you know, I've had, you know, I've done a lot of stupid things in my life, but, uh, you know, that's pretty much, that's the only thing I really regret. Now, uh, your first year in Sheffield, uh, you had a couple of fights with a guy who played with Bridgeport for uh, a little bit of time and that's Ben Olson. Do you remember your run-ins with Ben? Yeah. <laughs> he played in Bridgie. Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh God. So yep. you guys liked him? 
I, I mean, I like him, <laughs> but but you could if you don't, go ahead. No, no, he he plays hard. Yeah. Um, Listen, this but, is your this is your episode. No, so no, I'm just just, I'm just because. I'm, I like no, I have a lot of res- I have a lot of respect for Ben, like what he does mm-hmm. on the ice and how like he he plays hard, mm-hmm. um, but he's he was a little bit younger, mm-hmm. and I just wasn't like the only time I fought him was when he would like cross check one of our guys or like do something to one of our guys. Like I never went out of my way to like okay, let's you know round three, let's do this kind of thing. Um, I remember thinking to myself, I'm like every time we play against them. I'm like, man, just don't do anything stupid. Like, I don't want to fight you today. Like, I'm fucking 30 years old. <laughs> I'm playing 25 minutes a game. You know, my wife is here. Like, it's just, I'm at the end of my career's on its, you know, last couple legs. My, uh, you know, my ankle freaking swells up every period. You know, I, I, I just feel myself like on its way out. And then every time we had to play Coventry, which was where Olsen was playing, mm-hmm. I was just like, oh man, just don't do anything stupid. So I got to fight this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so he kept you on your toes yeah he definitely he definitely did well but, listen if but I, that was that's the like he the english league was like absolutely perfect for a guy like that mm-hmm. well if i get him on the show i'm definitely going to ask him about you so uh you know it's, <laughs> it's part of the reciprocal thing like I, you know you may do other shows and they may never ask you about ben olsen but because i have the islander theme here and the bridgeport theme, yeah. i'm always going to ask you about those guys plus like i said i like the guy so if i get him on you know you're an islander so i'm going to ask him about playing against you so all's fair well, you know of course yeah so, of course now uh it's my understanding fortunately i have some friends uh that uh, know a lot about the british league and they told me that uh your sheffield's biggest rivals were probably nottingham and cardiff uh, yeah. when you, when you were there. So any, any wild incidents that may have happened in those games or memorable things that you could relate to the people? There wasn't any brawls or anything like that, but, uh, there was a time when Simon Ferguson and, uh, Kelsey Wilson. So Kelsey Wilson's playing in Nottingham Ferguson's in, uh, Sheffield with me and they hacked each other to the point where, I was like, man, that's a, that's like a 35 game suspension. Like this is like pretty crazy. And things like we, things like that would always happen. Like there would always be someone, there was always, um, there's again, a Chris Frank who played over there and there's, you know, Ben Olsen and then there's a Ferguson and then there's a Fata and then there's every team had that like wild card where you didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but then you had, with the rivalry and the fans, the fans are what made it Mm -hmm. because, you know, we would play say Coventry and we'd have like three, 3000 people in the stands. And the next night we're playing Nottingham and we're like standing room only at like 12 grand. Wow. It's just, and people go crazy and then they're banging the drums all the time. So the fans made it, which was the best part. So even if things got out of hand, you kind of like, you just took that energy and you just loved it. Now, I've, I'm very good friends with Matt Nickerson, and he's tried to explain the whole thing with the British League as far as the different tournaments and the champions, and you're a champion of this thing, and you're a champion of that yeah. thing. And he, he broke it down for me probably better than anyone ever could, and I still don't understand it. But <laughs> I see that in your second year in Sheffield, you were the playoff champions. Now, is yeah. that winning the whole league? Like, what what, what is that exactly? So there's three different, there's three different leagues Sorry, I shouldn't say leagues, but there are three different 
uh, trophies to win mm -hmm. during the year. There's the league champions, which are all year long. That's that, you know, that, that 51 games mm -hmm. that you're talking about. Yeah. That's the league. Mm -hmm. And then whoever finishes first wins the league and okay. it's all year. And then mm -hmm. there's the, um, I think it's called continental cup mm -hmm. Yep. and continental cup. And those are, I can say I play Nottingham Friday, Saturday mm -hmm. on Friday. It's a league game on Saturday. It's a continental cup qualifier. Yeah. So you play like this round Robin and then you play, uh, you play a bracket system uh, for the Continental Cup at the end of the year. So a team who wins, say, the league, the Continental Cup, and the playoffs has an opportunity to play 85 games throughout the year if they make it all the way through to the finals each time. Uh, if you don't make the finals on, or you don't even make the playoffs or you don't make the Continental Cup, then you play like 60 games. Okay. And teams and owners want to play more games because that's more fans in the stands, there's more games, there's more revenue. Yeah. So we were playing, uh, when I was at Sheffield, we won the playoff championships, mm -hmm. which are the end results of the league and then how teams get seated. And then there's this uh, three-day weekend where you play three games, it's one and done. And then we, we played at the end and uh, we won in overtime. So it's like uh, the last game I ever played. Yeah. So, okay. So now it brings us to the next season where you had actually signed with the Arizona Sundogs coached by another former Islander, Kevin Colley. But yeah. uh, when the ECHL absorbed the CHL, you retired. Uh, mm -hmm. What was, uh, how did that all go down? So I was, I finished my university and I got my degree and I was applying for jobs and I just, Essentially, it was just throwing my hat everywhere. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I, we didn't have any kids yet. So we were like, okay, what do you want to do? And she's like, if you want to play one more year, then go play one more year. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, I don't even think I have a year in my body. Like, I got, like I got nothing left. And I actually, the, the year before, when we won in overtime, I actually scored the overtime winner. Nice. So it was like, if I'm going to go out, I'm like, that's a... I'm out. Like, that's a good way to kind of finish it. Yeah. Um, and then a player coach opportunity came up or no, sorry, the player coach idea, uh, came up because I actually called, uh, Jack Capuano. Okay. And I was like, Jack, I'm like, what do you, I want to do something. I don't, I don't know what I want to do yet. And, uh, he's like, well, what about being a player coach in, in like the CHL or like the U-Haul or something like that, or even in the East coast. I was like, shit, that's a, that's a good idea. I'm like, I would, I think I would love that. And so I got my agent involved and I said, okay, who's out there and wants somebody and can also be like a, you know, just an assistant to kind of figure out, you know, work his way through. And then obviously Kevin Colley with, uh, I don't know if, I don't think Jack made the phone call or anything like that, but Colley was, uh, he's a, he's an old Bridgeport guy. Yep. And I think that was just maybe the connection true i'm not sure if my agent made the call or jack made the call and uh two days later i was like let's do this and he was on board and signed a contract and they signed up my uh my wife for a job as receptionist at uh, the guy who owned the team mm -hmm. he also owned uh um i don't know what he owned he owned something else so she was going to work there mm -hmm. i was like perfect let's go and yep. then the league and they folded now, did they get um, 
they didn't play at all in these. They're done, right? There's no team. There wasn't a team. They got absorbed, no. but they didn't play. Yeah, they, they folded, and then the league got absorbed right. by, I want to say, the CHL. Or no, wait. No, the East yes. Coast League. They got absorbed by the East Coast League. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Collie got released. Oh, okay. So everything kind of, everything kind of, uh, like everything just kind of got put on hold. And mm-hmm. he was, Collie was looking for a job. So right. obviously my contract and stuff got terminated and everything else. And I actually got, I was, they offered me a contract to go and play mm-hmm. in San Diego or sorry, with, um, with as Collie's replacement, not his, not a coach, mm-hmm. but to go play on the team. So I was like, okay, I'm like, you know what? I'm like, you got to give me some time. I got to think about this because, you know, I don't think I can last an 82 game season in the East coast. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I wasn't physically, you know, ready or like lung capacity in shape. I was like, man, I don't think my body can like go through that. Right. And so I was like, okay, I got to think about this. And then I was like, well, I got my degree. Um, my wife's a teacher here. My parents are here. They're still together. My brother's here. His wife and three kids. My sister's here uh, with his with uh, her two kids and husband. My wife's parents are here. Like I'm talking about Sault Ste. Marie, mm-hmm. and they're together. And her brother's here, and all the kids are here. And it's like everybody that's really like important in my life right. is living 15 minutes away from me in Sault Ste. Marie. Right. So I was like, you know what? I think it's time. Let's just I'll find a job. You'll become a teacher, and we'll we'll get this going. And um, that's that was our decision and we just kind of went from there and uh ended up working as a uh golf <laughs> golf course manager at uh, this place called uh root river and that was like my kind of stepping stone into as actually owned by one of my cousins like my cousin owned the place mm-hmm. so i started helping him and became a manager and got to learn, like, you know, the logistics of, uh, you know, being a manager and learning people skills. And uh, there was an opportunity to buy a local bakery. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let's do this. And I went to the bank and I said, how much money can you give me? And they gave me a number. Yeah. And I was like, they're like, how much do you want? And I'm like, all of it. Give me all of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I took all that and invested it into a bakery. And we're still own that bakery today. Uh, we expanded into a second location. Um, and now we own both of them, both locations. My wife is a school teacher. We have two beautiful kids. Uh, I got a son, Milo, uh, who just turned five. And I got my daughter, Gia, who is two. Now, do you want to plug the uh, bakeries in case anyone is in the Sault Ste. Marie area and they want to get some uh, fine confections? <laughs> so it's, uh, it's called Superior Home Bakery. Uh, we kept the name, kept the logo. The people that owned it before, uh, they ran it for 30-plus years. And essentially what I wanted to do was I didn't want to change anything. I'm like, this place has been here forever. Uh, it's, called, uh, it's called a cash cow. Uh, in terms of revenue, yeah, um, that's I learned that from business school, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I didn't want to change anything. Mm-hmm. So we didn't. Like I, I had the same staff, and I got the owners to stay on for eight weeks to teach me what they were doing. Like I knew nothing about baking bread and donuts and 
pastries and all these. I knew nothing about it, but I knew what, you know, if I put the work in, I'm like, I'm, it's, it's money. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to make money. And they stayed on for eight weeks. They taught me everything that they could within that eight week span. And, uh, you know, it's been all coming up on six years now. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, one, well, one final hockey question. Uh, is there any significance to the numbers 44 or 49? Cause it seems like you wore those numbers a lot throughout your career. 44 was always like my favorite number. Uh, I could never wear it in junior because the Jersey numbers only went up to like 25. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, I'm, I'm part of that old school. Like these are the jerseys that you wear and mm-hmm. like you have to pick a number. Like there's, there was no number 13, right. <laughs> that kind of right. stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just wore number nine in junior because that was like the one that was available. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was no significance to that. And then when I finally had an opportunity to wear what I wanted to wear, because even in Wilkesbury, my first couple of years, uh, whatever number was they gave me in training camp, that's the number I wore. Okay. Like I didn't have a choice. And then uh, finally, when I had a chance in Bridgie, I was like, I want to wear 44. And that was awesome. And then 49 is the number that they gave me in, uh, <laughs> at training camp. Right. And uh, actually, no, that was the number that was on my jersey when I went into the stall. Okay. So when I got called up for my first game, uh, that was just the number. Was, I didn't have a choice, and I was like, I was like, oh, that was cool, great. <laughs> <laughs> and then a bakery question now. Um, when I go to your bakery, yeah, I will be able to find a fresh supply of rainbow cookies, I hope. We, yes, we have M&M cookies in Canada. We don't okay. call them rainbow cookies or Smarties or anything like that. We call them just M&M cookies. But yeah, we, uh, we just, we have a wide variety of like all the different things that we make. So essentially, you know, we make three, 400 pounds of dough, you know, every day for certain things. And we just try to supply as much as we can, like, uh, as like the stuff I sell in the front of the store. Versus what I sell at the back of the store for wholesale on all the restaurants. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where you make the money. You make the money out the back door. And thank God we were classified as essential during the pandemic. Yeah. Or during right now. So uh, I was able to keep everybody's jobs that work there. Thank God. And we were able to stay open. And obviously we took a hit revenue wise, mm-hmm. but uh, the Canadian government is just giving away money. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, I'm not going to say no to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're giving money to everybody but the CFL. Yeah. I don't know why they did that. I don't It's It's Which government, is, so. I know. It's yeah. just, you know, and it was a, the CFL, it's big in Canada. Uh, not televised, like people don't watch it on TV, but mm. the attendance at the games yeah. is what uh, what's really drives. And I don't know. I watch I it on TV. I, yeah. I do. I watch it down here. I get the ESPN. Well, of course, you can't go where you need to do across the border and go to a game. Well, I've only I've been to two. Where in? Uh, I've been to Hamilton, Hamilton, and uh, Saskatchewan. Oh, nice! I've been to one in Saskatchewan. It's awesome. It's unbelievable. Second to yeah. none. Yeah, it, it's none. yeah, it's one of the better one of the better atmospheres I've ever been at. Oh, it's it's like a college. It's like a big college football atmosphere, like the big yeah. colleges down here. Uh, that kind of atmosphere, like just wild. Like it's probably like going to a Michigan Ohio State game. Yeah, like I went to a Michigan State and a uh, and a Michigan game one time, mm-hmm. and that was I was shoulder to shoulder like craziness. You can't even hear yourself think. Yeah. Um. 
that atmosphere is just like nuts. You can't, that's uncomparable to anything. And I would say a Rough Rider game is like pretty close. Like it's, it's like, or they're not, I don't even know what they're called now. You can't even, they're not called the Eskimos anymore. Called, I still call them the Eskimos. I know. I don't, <laughs> I thought it was like, you know, you got rid of the name because it had like a bad yeah. racial uh, uh, backstory. Mm-hmm. But the word Eskimo and where it came from and how it started yeah. was like this huge like tribute to the the uh, the culture that was mm-hmm. there. Yep, and I was like, this is awesome. It's, but I got rid of it. For, it's very for weird. Long. This this whole thing nowadays. It's a different world than what I grew up in, and uh, yeah. you know, like I I don't know. It's it, what do you say to it? That's like you've said a few times. It's a completely different podcast, and I could go on and on <laughs> about that stuff. Uh, but yeah. uh, but anyway, Drew, listen, this has been amazing. We've done well over four hours, uh, and I I really really appreciate your time. The last question I ask everybody always is: um, Is there anything I forgot about your career that you'd like to talk about? Um. Uh... Oh, I don't know. That's a good one. I know we went through so much stuff. It was like every year. Yeah. Half the time, I can't even remember what I did like two days ago. Um, no, I definitely can't think. But if I definitely think of something, I will give you a call and uh, we can add it in. <laughs> Absolutely. So listen, Drew, this was awesome. I uh, I appreciate it. And um, I can't wait to tell. I'm actually going when I when I go in and do the intro for this. Don't give it away, but I'm going to to put in the intro exactly what led to you coming on the show. Our conversation that we had on Twitter that yep. uh, I misunderstood. If you remember what what I'm talking about, but I'm going to put that in <laughs> yeah. the intro for people. It's actually a pretty good story. So uh, so yeah. I can't, I can't wait to put this out there for the people. I know they're going to enjoy it, and I just want to say thanks again for your time. No, it was, trust me, it's absolutely my pleasure. And, uh, you know, anytime I have an opportunity to kind of relive those memories, like I will definitely tell those stories because now that I'm home and retired, my friends don't want to hear that shit. <laughs> well, listen, I would just, when I put the links out there, just force it on your friends, make them listen. When you're in a car <laughs> trip, just put it on in your car and make them listen. I will do whatever you want me to do. <laughs> All right, Drew, have a great day, man. All right. Thank you very much. All right. See ya. Bye. Thanks again to Drew Fatta for taking all that time to chat with me. Um, Like I said in the last episode, one of the really cool things about doing this episode is that I get to actually chat with guys who I enjoyed watching on the ice that I never had a chance to meet before when they were playing for whatever reason. Uh, obviously I was aware of Drew and, uh, obviously I was a fan of his style, a fan of his game and, uh, never had the chance to speak to him. So to actually have the opportunity to sit down with him and basically record about four hours worth of stuff and, um, for him to really just be an open book with someone he's never really met before. Well, he's never really met, let's be honest, but he's all he knows about me is my social media. Maybe he's tuned into an episode or something, but, um, you know, the fact that Drew was kind enough to do that, uh, really means the world to me. Uh, and I, I got some really good feedback from the episode one. Hopefully those people like episode two here and, uh, Drew, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. And I'm definitely heading up to your place in the Sioux. Uh, when we get up there, if we get up there, because of course, if anyone has ever seen me, you know, damn well, I am a fan of baked goods. So, uh, everybody, I will be with you next week. I will have a guest for you next week. The episode is already recorded, uh, but I don't feel like letting the cat out of the bag right now. 
So stay tuned. You people out there, have a great week and be safe.